Coming up on episode 3 of Auto Catch-Up, we talk about the latest VFAX sales figures for March, as well as a new Toyota Corolla GR. Could an all-wheel drive performance version of the popular Corolla be heading our way? As well as all of the virtual racing series news that you need to stay up to date in this crazy period that we're currently living in. That's it and more for this episode. Welcome to this episode of Auto Catch Up. It's uh, Ashley Perkins here again, and joined as always, we've got Joel Strickland at Joel Strick Photo. How's it going, Joel? I'm good, thanks, Ash. It's good, and also joining us, we've got Mick McWilliams from Low Flight, and uh, welcome to you as well, back again. Howdy, gents. How are you going? Good. Now we're into our uh, another week of COVID nineteen impacts so uh there's been some interesting news some good ones as well come out of it um but uh in the meantime joel what have you been keeping up with so this week uh as well as working on uh, some stuff trying to keep myself busy and uh dealing with some client stuff and things like that i've uh, spent a bit of time uh, in the virtual world driving uh um virtual rally cars i've been playing uh dirt rally 2 uh, which has been a lot of fun um, and has been nice to uh, to do a bit of motorsport. Watching everyone else play motorsport online has been a bit of a talk, but to actually go and have a play myself, it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I think it's uh, given everybody the itch again, and um, um, I think uh, all of these racing simulator companies have never seen such demand before. Uh, it's the talk of uh, social in terms of, you know, some of my friends and mates like that. I've got a mate that's just gone out and bought his own simulator and it's been interesting watching, uh, obviously, the supercar drivers and a lot of the others. Um, we had our first uh, TCR series um, race this week, but we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it's been interesting. There's the, there is actually... Um, uh, a group of people, the Australian Rally Championship has actually started a, um, a virtual tournament for those playing um, Dirt Rally 2. Um, and there's a few of my friends that have been uh, been playing it. But uh, I, uh, I jumped on the game just to see what all the fuss is about. Um, I've got the Colin uh, McRae edition, so it's actually got an ability to play um colin's career he can actually jump into different parts of his career and drive his car um effectively being him uh throughout his career from different different parts so it's actually quite no, interesting but, i don't um, know about i don't know about uh being him joel you can drive <laughs> his cars mate i <laughs> know oh, i'm far from being anywhere near what he's like you know it, it's quite good the game is well done each sort of section that you that you, you jump in and and talk about and and you play actually talks a little bit about him and what he was doing at that time in his career and what car he was driving and um yeah one of the sessions i drove uh, was the rs 500 um sierra cosworth and that thing was just all nice. kinds of handful but the first car you drive as part of it was a mini cooper so to go from uh, the mini to the to the sierra and then jump in the wrx uh, that he drove for a long period of time, and then finished with the the Skoda. It's um, yeah, it's it's a bit of fun, uh, but yeah, it's a pretty cool game. But the thing that's got me addicted the most out of that is playing um, rallycross. Uh, you've got the ability in the, mm. within the game is to to play. Um, and do the FIA World Rallycross Championship, and, and that is a lot of fun. Um, 
I've been talking to a couple of mates during the week, and I'm think going to try and get a maybe a bit of a virtual World Rallycross Championship against a, a bunch of us. But uh, I've never had so much fun playing a, a car game. I reckon in, just as a driving a 600 horsepower Audi uh, or Renault or whatever it is car that you mm. choose. I was driving the Subaru version that Chris Atkinson drives today. Um, oh, so much fun. Um, to have you gone for uh, equipment, Joel? Have you uh, welded up box frames, or have you got no. the multi-level um, ironing board? <laughs> I'm just using uh, the hand the, ga- the hand console. So uh, I'm yeah, actually right. I was playing. Uh, been playing a little bit during the week, but then this morning before we jumped on to record, I had a, a quick burl and and tried a different car and um, instantly took about 10 seconds off my time. So um, it's very interesting that the difference in the handling of uh, the cars is, uh, is unbelievable. Like mm. I've never driven a game where there is such a, a handling feel difference. So everyone's going to, mm. I think, have a different... Uh, preference but talking to a couple of guys that he reckons that he would much prefer he's playing it with a wheel but he reckons for rallycross it's actually better to play it with the um the hand console so you know that's it's quite interesting to get that kind of feedback he says the wheel just limits too much with what you're trying to achieve um but yeah so i'm going to write a review up on the game uh, once i've got a chance to to get a few more uh, a bit more session time behind it but yeah keep an eye for that in the in the not too distant future so, Mick, uh, Joel says that he's been using the, the controller, but we all know that he's gone out, bought a wrecked car, and is slowly converting it uh, to use the simulator, isn't he? But I thought, no, nah, that's too far. <laughs> Look, we'll Just see. an we'll aerial we'll atom just on for reality. Photos, yeah. uh, on social media, and no doubt. Uh, it'll be more the... Uh, it'll be the Rick Kelly style of just the seat with the uh, the plastic seat on the floor with, um, you know, just a set of pedals and stuff like that, so... <laughs> well, look, uh, Mick, you've, you've been uh, driving some real cars, maybe not in the same manner as Joel on yeah. uh, virtual tracks, or, or have you? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I did a bit of gravel driving in the Grand Pier. Uh, three-wheel drive, mate, it was made for it. Uh, <laughs> obviously not quite. Um, yeah, haven't done a lot of Ks this week, but um, I'm actually a... Um, I'm a first aid officer for my company, so I've we've got a rotation. There's got to be a first aid officer in the company that I work for every day. So, still managed to get out and have a um, a trip down to Brisbane and back twice a week. Uh, the Granvier I actually found um, I don't know perversely satisfying to try and park because essentially the design for the Granvier is I think they just did a plan view of how big a parking spot is and then just filled it up with seats. It's just like flat sides. <laughs> it goes full to the extremity, back to front. Um, that's really how big this thing is. But it's it's actually really easy to drive. And because you can see everything, like there's so many windows around, actually the back is kind of a little bit difficult. I did a parallel park in it um, just for, for the sake of science, just to say that I did. And, um, you know, I managed to fit into a slightly bigger than average car park. But, I mean, this is a 5.3-metre long block of flats the only thing i wasn't super confident with was the back left hand corner because it's quite a far distance away plus you've got all the seats in the way so you can't quite see where that rear mm-hmm. corner is but i still managed to park it okay and it was just you know when when you achieve something in a grand view it feels like a real achievement like you know you look around for applause or something because it's just you know you've really actually completed quite a significant undertaking 
Um, so so it doesn't I, have like, does it have any like 360 camera or what? Does it have any assistance, self parking or anything like that? To yeah, it it's 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 got the uh, it's got the parking beeping, obviously. Um, yeah. It's got a rear camera the, though too. Yeah, it does have a rear camera, but it's and this is a pet hate of mine with mirrors as well. I mean, it's, it wasn't too bad with the Granvia because it's square, so you can sort of get a mm. spatter relationship of where, where where everything is. But I don't like mirrors that aren't flat. So the is it concave, uh, okay. convex, convex mirrors. Yeah. Oh, I so, got a spot for the uh, blind spot. Yeah, so I want to see when I look in a mirror, I can see where something is and tell how far away it is because it's, you know, objects are not, closer than they appear in the mirrors they're exactly where you think they are um and the the rear view camera in the grand view is the same it's quite a wide angle and it's it's almost like it's got two fields of view so when you're turning the lower part of the image um moves at a different rate to the top part but i think it's just right. the uh, i think it's just the shape of the lens so you can see where everything is but <laughs> i Everything is a long way away. So the same as when you're looking in your left-hand mirror to see where your um, left-hand side of the vehicle is and you turn your head to look in the right-hand side, you're actually turning your head a long way and you're looking at the mirror, which is up above your field of view, which actually could probably be a bit bigger. But mm. um, So looking down at the camera and then looking over at the other mirror and looking over at the other mirror and turning around to look at the rear corner of the vehicle, all of those sorts of things you've got to do, it's, it's a lot to take in. Um, but you can you can get the job done. It's just uh, yeah, it's it's quite an undertaking. What I did like <laughs> about it is the fact that uh, the so you've got two captain seats, uh, two rows of two captain seats, so four of them in the in the back plus the rear bench seat that's got mm -hmm. another two seats. Those four captain seats all have um, uh, ISOFIX points for baby seats. So if somebody <laughs> and Congratulations, but what a challenge! If you've had, <laughs> if you've had four babies, if you need to get four baby seats in a vehicle, because these seats move so far and they've got isofix points, you can actually have four baby seats in this vehicle and get access to all four of them wow. by moving them up and down the rails quite easily. And they're quite high, so it's very easy to put the baby. Like anybody that's had babies and try to put them in baby seats, it's it's quite a challenge when you've got a low vehicle. But if you've got three seats in a row which I did have at one point. I had um, a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a, and a one-year-old. So I had like a booster seat, uh, um, a forward-facing child seat, and a baby capsule on the other side. You need as much space as you can to get into those things. It's it's pretty bloody hard. But, um, yeah, being able to do four of them in this thing is probably its biggest um, benefit out of the Granbier. But aside how from good, that... How yeah. good is the setup, though? Like those seats and the immovability of them? Oh, fantastic. Once I pulled those rods out, like I understand yeah. what they're for. They actually have rods that go in the uh, rails for the seats so that obviously when you're sliding one seat back, it hits against this rod as a stopper. So if there's somebody in the third row, the second row seat doesn't slide back and hit them in the knees. So it's, you know, sitting that space for each of the row of seats. When you get that out of the way, I actually pushed it all the way back. I could fit a, um, a full-size mountain bike um, sideways. In so the behind the driver's middle, seats. Behind the driver, yeah, that's a lot yeah, of so space I, in that area, isn't it? Yeah, I pushed the third row back and the second row back and put a full-size mountain bike in there. Um, with this, I'll, I've got some pictures up on Instagram, but I'll I'll send it for you guys as well. But just 
normally if I put that in the back of my Commodore wagon, you've got to like pull wheels off and put it in and try and turn it at different angles so that it doesn't hit a window. Here I just picked it up, put it straight in and went, oh, all right, I'll just close the doors and, <laughs> and that's the job done. Um, so is this but, yeah, a recommendation that uh, if, if people have a family and they need lots of space, lots of practica- practicality, don't go for an SUV, but go for a Grand Vier. Is that, is that what you're saying? Well, <laughs> I think that the, 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 turn, the turn away from SUVs or someone wanting something different to an SUV, I mean, we're going to get to VFAX shortly, but just jumping ahead, the Carnival's a big seller this month in that in that in that people mover market. So, you know, people movers have always been popular. People don't like that idea of the SUV. The Granvy is a perfect for that. It's got heaps of space. It's got heaps of seating space. Um, and it's a, it's a good thing to drive. So yeah, the SUVs are definitely something not to rule out, um, for people that want space, but also many seats. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. The, The problem is, I mean, I'm sure that people that have had, what is it? Quads? What's the, yeah, quadruplets? Mm. Four babies are not faint of heart anyway. Um, they've already seen all the challenges you could possibly throw <laughs> at them. So perhaps driving something that, as big as the Grand Vier isn't, isn't quite that daunting. But they are significantly larger than the Carnival. It's not a um, – I think the height is probably the, um, the biggest detractor from it because it's two metres tall, which is – um, for a lot of shopping centres, they sort of that's kind of their limit for the under, yeah. undercover parking. They're around about that two metre space, mm-hmm. so it's a bit close. But if you do have a larger family and you don't have to worry about that sort of thing, it's I'd, I would pick a Grand Vier over um, some of those other smaller size ones like the Carnival and the iLoad or iMax um, type space, just because you can do so much with this interior space. I didn't like that you couldn't really get in the back though. Like the actual loading in the back was um, wasn't as easy. But I mean, when you've got those four seats, how I had it set up before, so you uh, in the very back row you can lift the the base of the seats up, so you can slide the third row back further. So mm-hmm. slide the third one back as far as it can go with your babies in there. The second one you can put it back, and then the gap you've got between the driver's seat and the second row, you've got enough room to put in your well, they're part of the course for babies, gigantic prams. So if you've got multiple kids, um, there's plenty of room in that space where I put that full-size mountain bike to put your full-size multiple baby um, prams, nappy bags. Well, the amount of stuff that goes with it is astronomical, but there is room and flexibility for that space to do that sort of thing. So I'd be pretty confident doing a long trip in a vehicle like that with a lot of kids. Um, and economy was quite good too. I actually got it to I think eight point two liters per hundred k's. Okay, which, which is pretty good for something that size. Remind me, have you got the petrol or diesel, Mick? It's diesel, yeah. Diesel. So it's okay. two point eight. Um, it's rear wheel drive, so uh, north south, not east west. Um, six speed auto, and it just handled everything with ease. Once I got over my own concerns about the size of it and being aware of where things are and being confident with it, it was it was a very confident drive. Um, and then, of course, I stepped out of that into the... Um, I've got the Kia Stinger 330S. Um, I'm in my happy place. It's basically a four-seater <laughs> jet ski, um, but I'll talk about that more next week. <laughs> well, it's... Yeah. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see because you have said that it is a bit more of a back-to-basic style as well. 
um, not too overloaded with tech. So it'd be interesting to see how. Yeah. Um, and, and you're a bit of a fan of that as well, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I've already had some fun. Um, <laughs> I, I think the most important spec to mention for the 330S is 225s on, on the rear. When you've got 272 kilowatts and 510 newton meters, um, wow. that's uh, that's asking for trouble. Yeah, yeah, that's um... but that is what it is. <laughs> well, um, I, I I have stories, but let's <laughs> let's get on with the news. <laughs> Good, yeah, it's uh, excellent. Well, for me, it's it was pretty quiet week. I uh, took back the uh, X1 uh, X Drive 25i. Um, enjoyed the rest of the time with that. Um, unfortunately, yeah, didn't didn't get to drive it as much as I would have liked. Um, but it's certainly one of those cars. We talked about it last week, but essentially, it's one of those ones where if you want to pot around, um, it's quite it's quite good. Um, I, I have seen some reviews where they say it's a bit sluggish, but I didn't really see that. Um, it really comes down to the driving style. If you're wanting um, wanting it to respond like a sports car, well you need to put into sport mode and everything like that. But if you're wanting to be a bit more conscious or a bit more um, relaxed around the city, uh, that's what the different driving modes are there for. And um, it's one of the few brands that actually do have distinctly different driving modes. It isn't really kind of like sometimes I feel the others are a bit more of a placebo kind of effect rather than a, a true um, mm. tuning of everything to make it a lot more responsive or to change the suspension and everything like that. Um, yeah. It's definitely a car or an SUV that once you whack it into sport, it comes really alive. It does. It doesn't sound too great on the inside if you're wanting to have you know that really great symphony of the um of the engine you don't get that from the outside it actually sounds a lot better than it does um than you'd think i'd have to say but overall had a little bit of uh wet roads and the all-wheel drive was great up and through mount tambourine it was it did a great job um and i had a, a mini cooper s with me on that drive and um, we both had a ton of fun the cooper s was a little bit faster but um, when you when you're pushing around, you don't really expect a Cooper S or an you know to to behave the same way as an X1. So um, mm. I was I was really happy with how it sort of drove and handled itself when you know trying to you know doing its best to keep up with a sprightly driven Cooper. Um, so look, I have to give it some good credit. It is it is just missing a couple little things from a car like that in the tech space um, that I would really hope. It would have coming as standard, particularly as the top model in that lineup. Um, or, you know, it is the X-Drive 255i that is, you know, there isn't an X1M or anything that sits above it. Um, so you kind of would expect all of those little features, particularly when you look at other brands like even Hyundai, Kia, um, they all bring their A-game when it comes to technology into their smaller SUVs. And so you kind of these days expect that at least from the premium brand. So that's that's really the only nitpick. Um, but as a driving car, it does a great job. Um, it has an organ pedal, which feels great once you get used to it again. A lot of, um, a lot of other cars now just have that top-down pedal arrangement. Um, yep. So it does take a little bit to get used to, but once you get back to it, oh, yeah, that, that's for me anyway. It's like, oh, that's what driving a real car is kind of like. Um, you know, having that organ pedal for an accelerator. What's but, your um, 
Remind me again, what's the transmission? It's just a traditional eight-speed, isn't it? Like yeah, it's a normal so it's core eight, converter auto. Yeah. yeah. So which that eight-speed from ZF is just brilliant. Um, there's a reason why so many different manufacturers have gone with that transmission, um, whether it's Maserati all the way through um, to even, I think it was basically in the Stinger, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but Kia and Hyundai basically took this inspiration for their own eight-speed automatic from that ZF um, box. So it's it's a great box. It's great for performance. Um, BMW use that eight-speed in a lot of their other performance models as well, which have launch control and everything like that, which they hadn't been able to do in their older automatic right. models before. So it is a great performing gearbox and um, definitely one of the strongest points of, of that car. Um, by far, the one thing is uh, the the you know how they normally have a lot of these cars have that kick to open the the boot. Yeah, oh, yep. Um, I wouldn't be able to tell you if it if it's if that feature is built into the car or not because my grandparents who have <laughs> the pre facelift car has that feature, yep. but it never works. Um, we I even took it back to the dealer and asked. Am I doing it right? Are they doing it right? Like, what's what's the problem? And um, he tried it, and he only got it once out of about four different attempts he made. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't get it to do it in this car at all. So I don't know if it's meant to have it or not. It would have been a really great thing to have working 100% of the time. Um, that's that's one of the things about those features, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I, I had it on one of the, I think it was the, the Calais Tourer. Yeah. And I did get it to work a few times, but when it doesn't, you know, you're just staying in the car park doing... Looking like an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're basically <laughs> doing line dancing with an arm full of shopping. That's it's it. just like, you know, forward, forward, sideways, sideways. Is this, is this a swipe? Is it a kick? Yeah. yeah. You know, if it doesn't work straight away, it's kind of what's the point. Mm. Although you get the other ones where you have the auto boot release. I think like the Genesis had it. Yeah. If you're standing there having a talk with someone next to the boot, it beeps three <laughs> times right. and pops the boot yeah. for you. You just yep. keep closing it. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the solution is for that yeah. one, but there's got to be well, some more reliable choice. Well, that's, that's right. Look, Tesla, um, their proximity. So if you're using the, your... Um, uh, they don't have the auto feature for the boot or anything at the moment, like in the Model 3, mm. but they their key system, so it's integrated um, so that they have the credit card style key or you can have the key program through the app, the Tesla app on your phone. And as you walk towards the car, um, it will just automatically, so it will basically reconnect via Bluetooth and then go, cool, you're, you're close enough to the car for me to know that I'm okay to unlock the, the driver's door, for example. Um, yeah, where's the uh, okay Tesla open? You know, like okay Alexa, <laughs> yeah. if you've yeah, already got exactly. your pocket. Yeah. Well, you know what um, um, the new the new Pajero Sport has? It's got the ability to um, do it through your app and your smartwatch. Yeah, right. And see, things like that make a lot more sense, particularly with the the situation, the pandemic situation we're in at the moment. Going to the shops, buying groceries, um, having that kick to open feature work or have it there at all would have been great because you've just gone around, you know, Coles or Woolies, you've bought your groceries, you're walking back to the car, you've still, you know, in my mind, you've still got dirty hands, you've been handling all the groceries, you get oh, yeah. back to your car and it'd be ideal to not have to touch the car at all, load the groceries and then do your hand sanitizer. You could sit your hand sanitizer on the on the boot. And so have that's you got hand sanitizer? You 
I'm coming over. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I won't tell you where I keep it, though. Um, but I did, when driving around, I did put it out of sight when I did park, just, uh, just out of... <laughs> so no one just breaks it, just you know, do That's it. I didn't want it to be a target. Um, but so that's, yeah, that's just one of those things where I think with all cards, it is still incredibly hit and miss. No one's got it right. But for the ones yep. that are going and putting the effort to build it in, Thank if you. it doesn't work all the well, <laughs> if it doesn't work all the time, just take it out because no one's missing it. Because if you if it doesn't work consistently, you just give up on using it anyway. Um, One thing I, I haven't thought to think about or even look on some of these cars that offer it, I'm intrigued to see between the brands and maybe it's something that you guys can maybe note moving forward on cars is how big is the sensor area that a lot of them are using. In that, is it a small piece? Is it a large piece? Is it multiple sensors? You know, I've never actually seen anyone mm. reference that. What is the setup in that in that in that respect to see what it's actually doing? Um, I'd be quite intrigued to see, you know, how it all works. Yeah, well, I'll have another look. I'm going into uh, this week coming. I'll be picking up the new two one eight i Grand Sport from BMW, and oh, nice. I'll go in and and have another look. Because also, I want to know, as you mentioned that, is if the car gets dirty, does it block up the sensor as well? And does that does that impact the reliability of it? Um, so, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Um, but, yeah, so anyway, I think we've got a, few, a bit of news to talk about. Um, some good ones, some ones that aren't really that useful to anybody, um, such as fuel prices. So we did mention a couple of weeks ago on, in the first episode, we did talk about fuel prices being a bit ridiculous uh, in, in and around, particularly in Brisbane, they're in around that 140 for E10, which was just really, yeah. really silly given that oil prices were from like 2002 but we weren't seeing 2002 prices but i think we'll finally hit the cycle and at the moment where costco for example and um out near ipswich has hit 88 cents for e10 and 112 cents for 98 uh which is one of those times where oh, I, I feel like i need to go for a drive just to witness <laughs> that price just to yeah. know like that I haven't seen that price since I was probably well twelve. So that's that for me. It's like oh, I need to go and actually see it for myself and and know what it's like to fill up a car at less than a dollar a liter. Um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. But it's 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 nice to see some of those prices coming back down. What have those prices been like for you guys in the different parts that you're in? Well, I haven't seen it getting under a dollar yet up at the sunny coast. Um, mm. I think about I might have seen it for a dollar three the other day, but um, I was just on the way through, so I didn't really stop. But usually, the cheapest place around Sunny Coast is uh, in Bly Bly at the um, the shopping centre across from IGA. They're usually about five or six cents cheaper than just about everywhere else. And I'll, last time I remember seeing those, it was a dollar twelve. <clears throat> so not quite down to that super low level yet, but enough still for it essentially to be a novelty and just to top, just to make you think and look at it and just yeah. Again, makes you want to go for a drive. I, <laughs> I've got right. the right tools. I, I, I don't even know why I'm talking to you guys. Really, I should be <laughs> should be out on the road spending some money. Yeah. But, um, how about you, Joel? I haven't really paid too much attention. I haven't really been out too much in the short time I have been out running back and forth. I actually don't pass any service stations, so um, I've been meaning to have a look at one. I do. There's one round the corner, not far from where I have been, sort of 
disappearing too when I've been doing, you know, the, the brief shop mm-hmm. and whatever else. But I keep me mm-hmm. in to, uh, to have a look. But, um, yeah, I know there's a few guys that have been talking about it just online and things like that, that when the prices started going up, that there, there was a bit of price gouging going on. But um, uh, not a lot of people have been talking about it, so I'm guessing it's probably not super cheap at the moment. Yeah, it's kind of part, of, um, part of the problem is that we're being told not to go anywhere unless you absolutely have to. So that's for groceries yeah. or for work. Um, but anything, there's no, you're essentially for different states, you, you could possibly get a fine if you're just out going for a drive. So that's part of the problem is that no one's really going anywhere. And so no one's really probably even noticed the prices come down or really getting any use out of it because well they're not driving um yeah I saw it's, like one, having a, it's like having heaters for sale in summer that's know? right yeah. like I, I saw somebody I posting it. their, their latest fuel economy was like oh great news guy well they weren't really too happy about it but it's like oh latest fuel figures are, are doing much better it's i've used seven liters in the last four four weeks um <laughs> so it's why. like that's yeah. <laughs> that's so it's unfortunate that it's you know the prices are down for a reason um, that's, we can't ignore, you know, they're not just down because, you know, they've, the fuel oil companies have decided, well, let's just make it low for no reason. There is a lack of demand and we are seeing that lack of demand here. So fuel prices are going to reflect it. Um, but it at least is for those people who do need it or, or even people like us that it, it is useful for us when, you know, that, that is a cost to us to, to be able to do the reviews and everything like that, that at least, well, when, we, when it does come to time to, to fill the car up, at least we are saving, or it feels like we're saving a little bit of money anyway um, at the pump, which is good to see. Yep, a brief brief respite. Well, we don't really That's need right. it, but yeah. it's still, every, every little bit helps, I guess, because there's a lot of people doing it pretty tough at the moment. So, um I guess we can't really be jaded about it just because no. we can't use it. But there's plenty of people out there that still need to go to work and still need to, uh, you know, like healthcare workers and people actually getting us mm-hmm. food to eat, um, making Absolutely. sure our internet is working, etc. So um, yeah, yeah, as long people. as you know, as long as diesel's cheaper for the trucking companies, I think that's one thing we we all kind of hope for at the moment for well, the I, guys I that are doing the deliveries. Diesel hasn't come down at the same rate as unleaded petrol it is still last time i looked around that one dollar 30 per liter so it is certainly cheaper than it normally has been but it hasn't dropped at the dramatic rate and it's probably Mm. because freight is still moving deliveries are still happening and and probably even higher than normal because people are ordering from amazon or online stores as as retail kind of shuts down physically yeah but at least it is reducing a little bit and um, it is giving, I guess, a little bit of breathing room for those people who would normally spend that extra money on fuel. They can, you know, use that money elsewhere. Um, so that is a positive thing. But moving on, so one thing, the demand for fuel is down, and obviously that is related to people driving less. And if people are driving less, the need for a new car, obviously, according to the latest VFAX, has gone down. And maybe not as dramatically as we expected, but March was a, a month full of um, a lot of change, a lot of things that have happened. But it has been, I think it was a, a 17% drop from last month's figures, um, which is quite quite dramatic. Yeah. Um, 
it, it is exactly as we were saying last week. It was going to be a mixed bag, you know, some swings and roundabouts in there. Um, even if you look at the trends for for this year, uh, March is typically supposed to be quite a good month, but um, passenger cars actually hit reverse. So it went up from January to February as they normally do, and then hit a bit of a reverse in March. Uh, SUVs stalled a little also, just went back just a tiny amount, but mm. light commercials obviously went up. So that's a, um, that's a pretty good indicator that the, the tax write-offs um, are working. The idea of that stimulus for small businesses to buy a vehicle, some, some people have seen that opportunity and, and, and grabbed it with both hands. And you can see uh, Colorado had a, well, let's be honest, much better month than usual. Um, and I dare say that has a lot to do with it. Plus, their, um, obviously, the discounts based on their, on their shutdown. Um, so Colorado well, have had quite a good month. Is it better because everybody else is having a bad month or is it looking better because they've, they've hit a price point that people are happy to pay? for Colorado at this point? I think it's probably the fact that, well, if you look at it compared to particularly um, Hilux, the Hilux has obviously been le leading the way, um, but Ranger was actually, you know, they're, they're fairly similar between the between the two, particularly in the 4x4. Um, Ranger kind of led, has led that uh, class again, but you look at Colorado and they're in, better numbers there's only about roughly sort of 700 difference between the um hilux mm. and the and the colorado and it's you know less than about 100 between ranger and and hilux so you know colorado did really have a, a strong month because you look at dmax and dmax is uh is you know is is up there and so is the triton but yeah the numbers it's interesting to look at um in terms yeah, of I you know that it, that it has had such a strong month yeah, March March to March. So if you compare the the performance of Hilux, um, they're down twenty percent compared to the same time last year. Ranger down sixteen percent compared to last year. Whereas Colorado is up thirty eight percent compared to March last year. So a um, little bit of an indicator there that people are taking advantage of the uh, of the run out prices. Um, so if you're going to have if you're going to spend some money for uh, a tax write off and use some of that stimulus opportunity. Um, you still don't want to get in um, too deep over your head. So you look for what's the uh, most affordable at the time and still be able to do the, you know, achieve the purposes that you need to get out of your work vehicle mm. and spend the least amount of cash. Colorado was probably the answer to that question this month. Um, but even Triton, normally a, um, you know, they're usually a pretty strong seller as far as the, um, the cheaper end of the market is. They had a, mm. a bit of a down month um, this year as well compared to last year, down 30%. So um, they did have a pretty strong last March. Um, so I think a lot of people have had an ordinary March, but the people who are looking to spend money have looked for the most affordable, um, most capability they could get for their money, and that was the discounted Colorado. So, um, But it's interesting looking across the different different brands. So one surprising, one positive uh brand to look at was ram so you can see that they've definitely built up some momentum particularly from last year where last year in march they sold 201 ram vehicles and this month they sold 262 um which and i think uh at the moment i, d I haven't got the exact number in front of me but they're actually outselling some other um some other brands as well at the moment which is really promising for uh, for, for the walk and 
group as well. And I think they're still they, the latest article I saw have a 90-day um, wait time still for a vehicle if you walk in and order one right now. Um, right. So that's that's a positive thing to see. Yeah, it's really good. I mean, and they've been pushing their TV advertising. There's a lot really um, in terms of what you see. And they're making great ads. The ads are, you know, ads on TV are really quite good and quite interesting, but they're pushing the the tax advantage at the moment, you know, in terms of what you're getting and, and they're showing a couple of different bits, you know, features and whatever. And they're obviously, like we've spoken about before, they're really pushing the, the, the towing capability of it. But if you look at what they're... Um, you know, in terms of what they've done compared to last year, this time last year they'd done they'd sold four hundred uh, and sixty-five units, and this year they've sold six hundred and twelve. So, um, you know, they're on for probably a, quite a good year. Yeah, they're, it's interesting too. Their, I mean, their products are very much. You know, there's two components that make up their products. You've got the discretionary purchasers who are buying big trucks because they're like big trucks. Then you get the people who are purchasing it who are actually purchasing it for capability because of their um, towing uh, capacity. So you wouldn't really expect, you know, when you look at the numbers, like 262 doesn't sound like a lot, but for some for a product that has a fairly narrow focus or a discretionary focus on um, on their purchases, they're, they're actually doing quite well. And they're, they're a... Um, quite a high value purchase per unit as well so they you know if you look at those 262 numbers i wouldn't you wouldn't say well unless you you know um were aware of the product and how limited the i wouldn't say how limited the appeal is but the the opportunity to sell numbers i think they're hitting their market quite well then they're not trying to push anywhere else um but the the niche that they have i think they're they're filling it up um quite well well it's kind of demonstrated by how big their their backlog is i guess yeah exactly and it's they built their the demand for them is obviously high because there's such a long um wait list um and obviously they've got to get I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the months in terms of with the shutdown of the u.s factories whether that drops off because they won't be able to produce as many um over what they've had uh, mm. and been able to get so you know with shutdowns in the us lasting um or being extended at the moment it'll be interesting to see what what happens moving forward mm. yeah so look so where do we go from here where do, where do we think uh what, what are the predictions for next month because we're seeing that more and more dealers are, are trying their best to come up with innovative ways to be able to get cars to people to show people um because obviously with more and more social distancing rules there's more pressure um to to innovate your business model and how do you you know how do you get product in people's hands because everybody knows that um that that old thing in the retail space of behind you know get behind the wheel seal the deal um and if you've got a lot of social distancing rules that's suddenly gets really really hard to do but mm. i'm seeing things like ford um as well as bmw and a whole heap of different dealers some are doing it on their own initiative some are are getting the manufacturer support but a lot of them are doing what the high-end luxury brands are doing so uh, rolls royce are a great example of they'll bring the car to you um it doesn't matter where they are if, if, if you're a potential client they'll do their best to get a vehicle out to you to you you know in your convenience and and we're seeing a lot of general brands now to do that um to bring that level of convenience to to still have people top of mind um to hope and obviously to hope to do a deal because 
the thing is is that the factories might be closed down but the dealer you know the dealerships are still open and they still have their fixed costs as well as a yep. as a you know at the end of that retail chain and we know that services dropped off a lot so it's there's a lot of pressure on on that space to to try and you know get deals done but it's yeah so where do we go it's, from here it's it's very difficult though isn't it like they've only got a certain amount of communication that you can get to your potential customers and how much of that communication spend do you have clarifying to them the limitations of social distancing and how it's still okay to talk to us about a car and we'll bring one to you versus actually advertising the product itself you know it's all well and good about getting everyone to know that it's okay to buy a car um but then, you know, you've still got to be able to sell the car at the end of that. So there's a mm. bit of draw on resources either way there. And I still think there's a lot of, um, I don't know about you guys, but I got the COVID-19 app from um, the federal government. Mm-hmm. So yep, they're supposed too. to provide you with updates. But I don't know about you guys, but I think it's one of the worst UIs I've had. It's just trying to figure out what you can and can't do is a whole bunch of long-winded garbage rather than somebody like you know i heard somebody on the um on the tv the other day saying that you know you can go out and do exercise but that doesn't mean you can go out and be sociable and do recreation like playing golf whereas if i went onto the covid19 app and when I had a look at the table of restrictions that you can have in the exemptions, one of the exemptions was sports clubs if you're going to play tennis or golf. Mm. So, you know, that that dealer has to be able to get through that grey area and fuzzy communication from the Commonwealth, which, rather from the federal government, which is um, kind of ordinary. Yeah. They've got to be able to push that confusion away and make a clear space for the customer to say, oh, it's okay for me to be considering to buy a vehicle right now. I have the capability to do it, so let me have a look at a car. And then they've got to get to the next step and do it. So at the moment, too much static and grey noise coming, uh, white noise coming out of the government, mm. all governments, whether it doesn't matter if it's state or or federal, I think they're doing a pretty terrible job at communication at the moment. Well, it's it's and, and the challenge is that it's constantly changing all the time. It, yep. We've had this, the last the, the past week has probably been the most stable we've had it in terms of adjustments of social distancing and what restrictions are in place. But over the last week also, we've seen the states get more, I guess, more organized in how they're implementing this into their legislation because some of this falls onto the states. Um, It's their responsibility on how they actually implement those new rules and restrictions. And, it's a hard one for car people where, you know, we're reviewing cars. That forms part of our work. And, you know, so it's, it's essentially we need to be able to do that. But for someone, you know, the great thing is at the moment the roads are a lot quieter. And I know a lot of mm. car people who previously have been, oh, let's go for a drive because we don't have to hop out of the car. I can hop in the car at my house, go for a drive, catch up with a mate where, and, and have a couple of walkie-talkies so you don't even have to physically get near them. Um, but that's now falling under that, well, that's non-essential that travel. side and that's non-essential travel, even though it, 
a lot of people feel a lot better and they've been itching to, to find an excuse to go for a drive or to go to the shop on the Gold Coast, even though they could get the same groceries from from down the street, <laughs> they're going a long yep. way to get there. Um, I'm getting a burger from need, Canberra, yeah. That's it. You know, they need that mental, they need to clear their mind, so they're going and doing that. But, yeah, it's really hard to, to navigate through when hopefully the next wave of restrictions don't put more pressure onto that because I know that there's a lot of people, particularly in that in that retail car industry, there's a lot of people that work in that, um, whether it's on the manufacturer side. We still have a lot of headquarters here that have a lot of great teams. Um but also in that retail space because there are a lot of dealers that employ a lot of people. Um, And obviously that gets harder and harder when, you know, you need to have a a salesperson in the car um, to bring you the vehicle or whether, you know, there's there's a security risk as well um, when bringing a vehicle to somebody's home that you don't know, you can't see prior to that and um it's it's hard enough for a lot of people to go well that's great take the car yourself i'll just wait here for you and the person can never you know the person could never come back um so there's also yeah, have yeah. to navigate that as well as a potential risk not saying that everyone's going to do that but that's just a a layer of risk that people and companies have to think about when bringing people vehicles to you know in the hope that they'll turn around and after the test drive go yep that's great let's do a deal um yeah they so should be cautious of... like the you know bentley dealers from someone in bean lee asking them to bring a flying spur um <laughs> probably no although <laughs> i do know a couple of people who live in that area who have um a, a, a fleet of cars but i'd probably yeah i'd probably agree that um anybody yeah. who's in the market for a flying spur is probably uh pretty limited anyway so yeah i wouldn't recommend uh asking for a test drive for the sake of having a test drive just at the moment um yeah they'll have <laughs> they'll the have the thing. usual qualifications and stuff like that you know to, call, to quantify right. their, their customers and stuff like that but yeah it's good to see that you know a lot of dealers are thinking about that there's a couple of dealers here in melbourne that uh whose socials that i follow and they're they're pushing quite heavily the the, mm. the way that they're setting themselves up to allow you to either have your car picked up by them or when it is there, the processes that they're going through to keep everything clean and, and um, you know, trying to avoid the virus as best they can. So, um, you know, those that are, that are being active like that, you know, it, it's, good to, it's good to see and, and hopefully, um, you know, they can continue to do it and people will support them. Mm. Yeah, and, and it'll be interesting to see, particularly... The, the VFAX for April will be, I think, the telltale sign. Um, now that everyone's gotten used to somewhat, you know, of the new reality that we're currently living in um, and knowing that it's not necessarily going to go back to normal for some time, the Prime Minister keeps saying this is at least six months. So at least six months, is, don't expect it to be any shorter. Um, and it, it very well could go for longer as well if you know, this situation doesn't change in that time frame. And brands like Ferrari, Rolls-Royce, Bentley, McLaren are going to be interesting ones to see as well because according to these VFACs, they had a fairly yeah, okay... Why so many people buying McLarens? What am I well, doing wrong? Why don't 14, I have 14 McLarens sold, seven Rolls-Royce, which was one less than March last year for Rolls-Royce. Um 
so yeah, Porsche had a, a lower month, but I think their product lineup fits more of a top end of BMW, lower end of Ferrari kind of spread. I'm sure I probably just upset a whole heap of people by saying that. But <laughs> in reality, they're selling, you know, their vehicles start around about that 100000 for a yep. Porsche Macan and go all the way up. To, yeah, of course, two and a half million, million dollar cars as well. But I think they're attached somewhat a little bit more to the reality of things somewhat more than Ferrari, Rolls-Royce and McLaren probably would be. Um, Did you see um, MG's numbers? Pretty amazing. They had a really yeah, good month. huge turnaround. Yeah. So last March they sold, for people listening, 703 cars. And the March just finished, they sold 1,234 cars. So that was a 75.5% um, increase, which, as we were talking about last week, didn't doesn't really surprise me. They, they've, I haven't had a chance to drive one yet, but I've seen a ton on the road. They've hit the right price point. They seem you to know, just be getting a lot of things right. You know where... Although oh, I can't say that's exactly where all the customers are coming from, but Hyundai have dropped the um, the accent. Yeah. So you know they they really suffered. You know, losing sort of a thousand units a month out of that entry model car. Uh, the MG threes are very similar priced around that sort of fifteen seventeen type for. space. Mm. Yep. So the biggest yeah. the biggest seller for them was 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 MG MG threes. Um, mm. And then obviously uh, ZSs and HSs. You know, what I think is um, is going to be a an indicator that the market is really having problems is when Kia stops growing. That's <laughs> right. Yes, yeah. so another month of Hyundai growth for Kia as well. So that was a huge, huge leap um, for essentially their sister brands. I think a lot of you know we could comfortably quite say, um, yeah. but Hyundai has very much been. The bigger brother, bigger sister, however you want to put it, the one that has always done more sales, had to be a bigger product line and everything like that. But now Kia has snuck up on them, really, and, and um, took the lunch. It'll be interesting. I wonder if that will sustain, though. They do have a good range of product. Yeah. Um, but, you know. But they, they kind of this, stop, you know, a, like. Is this, a, is this a product of the current time which we're in? Are dealers just reporting more cars? Did Kia really want to push and out, you know, out register by by you know Couple having a whole heap more demonstrators registered? We don't know. We'll have to see over time if that continues. Um, but yeah, it's, that's also what we also have to take into mind when we are looking at these VFAX numbers are things like registered demos, which aren't necessarily demonstrator vehicles where it's like, hey, we've got a car for you to test drive. It 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 is a little bit more convoluted than that it's not really as clear as that used to be um as some yeah brands. they kind of I'm, I'm not saying kia does it specifically but in terms of there are some brands out there where they do they want to hit a particular sales target to keep um you know the global office happy so they'll push a whole heap into the market under registered demos because as that vehicle gets registered it then that's how it qualifies to be marked under vfax so um as sale as the market seems to slow more and more, um, who knows if that practice will be as sustainable at the moment to keep those numbers and to keep jostling for for position. Mm, well, they Cold really hope. don't. Sorry, they don't. Um, you know, with the, with the removal of that uh, accent, they they're not in that. 
I mean, the light car space isn't particularly big anyway, but that's the sort of, you know, 500 units. The micro space, you know, they're a couple of hundred units if you're, if you're Kia. So Kia have already got a thousand sales before they even get into the same space of segments and products than Hyundai have. So um, they've, they've got a bit of an advantage there. They've got a greater reach down to the lower end of the market, the more affordable type products, which is, I guess, what people are really looking at at the moment. They're, you know, they're trying to get more for their money or spend less money. So um, I guess Hyundai have lifted themselves out of that space a little bit. You could almost argue that Mazda are kind of doing the same thing. You hear a lot of people saying about how, you know, Mazda are trying to lift themselves a bit further up market. Um, you know, they've got higher price points for each of their units. Having said that, they are very nice units. Um, but, I mean, they, they still play in that small space with the two, although that's not doing as well as it as it used to. Um, so, you know, they've got that kind of... Hyundai have sort of chopped themselves off a bit at that at that 20,000k price point so you you're going to expect a a little bit of a drop in volumes whether or not that translates to a drop in profit who knows because you mm. you really should be talking about dollars per unit that you're making maybe Mazda aren't that concerned about dropping some numbers if they're making more dollars per per unit they're getting out the door and i think you're onto that because we've seen Hyundai for example um They've shifted quite a lot. It is no longer just your entry level brand. It is yep. your if you want a if you want a nice, affordable, well appointed vehicle. Um, that's where Hyundai really slots in quite well. Um, and and Kia even now they're kind of starting to occupy a very similar space. And they they aren't your first car ownership cheap. Um, you know, write it into yeah, the, the bargain the basement anymore. Yeah. yeah. So, and that's putting, and and we that's where we start to enter a really interesting space where BMW start to get squeezed out a little bit. Mercedes start to feel it in their different smaller vehicles as well because all of a sudden, everybody wants better value out of those premium cars, like what we we're talking about with the X1. But at the same time these other smaller brands are also coming up and we're, we're crunching under the same space with the, we want the luxury brands to be cheaper. And while it's okay for Hyundai to charge a little bit more because they're offering all of these things. Um, so it's starting to, I never thought I would, I'd see brands competing like they, you know, then the brands competing before, um, or they would never have competed before, but then all, all of a sudden now, occupying that same or similar kind of space where they're competing for that dollar um, when people are kind of on the fence. Yeah, yeah. It's... Um, <laughs> you look at something like a Serato GT, for example, mm. which is, you know, I'm trying to... You know, we're considering about putting one of those in our garage at the moment because it's like low 30s and it's got everything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. for some reason... We live in Queensland, but my wife thinks that heated seats are important. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever's important to her, that's that's her decision. That's fine. Yeah. But you got the the one point six dual clutch transmission. Uh, sorry, one point six turbo dual clutch transmission. Um, good size wheels and tires. Very sporty suspension. I know it's not to everybody's taste. It's actually sprung quite hard, but really good space for. I would consider it nearly a mid-sized car. It's definitely bigger than what a standard compact is. 
Um, plenty of luggage space. It's affordable to run. What are you replacing it with? Uh, that's what we the wagon. So uh, SV6, really? yeah, SV6 Commodore wagon. So my wife wants something smaller to do the school runs and stuff too. Okay, wow. So but yeah, in reality, that's where the market kind of shifted away from the Commodore. That that's exactly what happened. They they went to a a slightly smaller but more affordable to run car, and I think that's. What you just explained, Mick, was the perfect. Is it's exactly what happened. It's the issue that happened to to hold them when they didn't have a um, a solid product that sort of. Don't you start trash talking well, the Malibu I'm, now? I'm, all right, they had the Malibu. I love the Malibu. It was a great car. Uh, I, <laughs> I like I like the CDX diesel to go touring on the dirt roads and stuff, but I I couldn't understand how they could have such a big car and such terrible rear seat space. They had really bad legroom in the second row for those Malibus, I, and the oh, the American quality plastics. I think the Americans accept certain interior treatments that we look at, and just it just doesn't work. I had the same you issue with the Acadia the price too. Points are a lot different. That's you know you can well, buy it, walk in and buy a, a Camaro or a Mustang for twenty grand, and for the engine that's under there, and the you know for a rear wheel drive coupe. And I'm just using that as an example. Yeah. For twenty, you know, twenty grand as a car, you're going. <laughs> I'll forgive a bit of cheap plastic because of what I'm getting as a driving experience. And unfortunately, yeah, well, it doesn't really translate to price points here. Um, yeah. But I think some of those things get forgotten when it comes to considering the Australian market, and that's why we see brands like BMW, where cloth seats are very much the standard in European variants, but we get usually. Our 318i, and I'm just using that as an example, 318i isn't the same 318i that you'd walk in and buy from the dealership in Germany as a, excuse me, I'm, my Canadian club is just bubbling up here. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, you know, your, your level of standard for the entry-level car is quite a lot different, and they've put a lot of effort, and that's why sometimes those cars cost a little bit more to the European variant, but and I think that's where the Malibu, and also it was a bit ugly, let's be honest. It was proportionally, it was all wrong. Um, Ooh, even I actually gave it a bit of credit in that department, actually. I, I but anyway, you carry the, on. The front half looked like a different car to the back half, and they kind of didn't really align. That's that's all I think. But there was some credit in if you sit one next to a VF, you can see some of that inspiration you can see the heavy relation in in the how the rear taillights and the front front headlights actually are yeah they that, tried to get some synergy there yeah yeah and so you could see that there was a bit of and i think the malibu came first where there was a bit of inspiration in in that vf design and i didn't i kind of like that because in brands like holden you didn't really see a lot of synergy until later on in the designs across models and a lot of lower end brands did do that where the, a lot of styling elements weren't the same it was really like well here's one model of car one design team put that together and the only thing they really share with anything else is just the badge when now yeah, I, kind seeing... of, um, I think i'm on the other on the other camp with that like i i kind of get bored of the audi a1 to a8 all looking like they all came together on the same bus you know they're starting they're to all... change though the, the new they are the new, yeah. the new sort of design language that's coming through particularly with the new 
um, Q3 Sports back, the new A1, um, and there's there's a definitive yeah. bit of a change in design and style now. Um, Don't you think the A3 Sports back though has got a bit of uh, is it Q7? I think it's a little bit but of Q8 they, they, in it. Yeah, I reckon they still got they're still too similar. I don't. Yeah, I guess they they, they want to have their own design language, and I get that. But I guess there's got to be a limitation to the similarity where one of them looks like it's underinflated, and the other one's the same one, but it's overinflated. Absolutely. Just, just yeah. talking about Audi, though, if you if you get a chance, jump onto their. I'm pretty sure it's on their Facebook, but also possibly on their YouTube. But uh, they've done they're doing a great series of videos now with Steve Bizzardi giving you a walk around of the cars. Uh, oh, yeah. Steve's obviously their head driving instructor for Audi, um, mm. and they've got him involved. He's a great character. If you've ever if you ever watched Top Gear Australia with um, with Steve, he was brilliant. And if you've ever heard Steve and uh, the other guys. Yeah, yeah uh, he, he was great. But um, I've been to quite a few, lucky enough to be into quite a few Audi drive experiences and, and listen to Steve, you know, his speech and that to the to the, to the people on, on a day. He's, 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 a, he's a natural comedian. He's very, very funny. But he's done a great job at, uh, of, of creating these um, these introduction videos on a couple of the new models. So hats off to the Audi Oz team for the idea behind that because it's, uh, it's quite interesting to watch and it's good to see him getting a little bit more airtime. I do find them. I do find Audi designed to ebb and flow a fair bit, though. Like, well, actually, I should say it's not necessarily their design, but my opinion of their design when they look at things. Sometimes I look at them for a series of like two or three years and think, "Wow, they're really starting to nail it." And then something will come out, and then it'll be a period of another, you know, twelve months or eighteen months where it's just like, "No, what are you doing?" And then they come back again. They, I don't know. Like they, I, it's, I do it's think Audi do be that. Oh, sorry, this is terrible English. Audi is a lot better at being a bit more fluid with their design. Every some brands do get really stuck into a particular yeah. language, you know, design language for a period of eight years where every model comes in and, and they all look alike apart from, you know, slightly different proportions and then they'll go they for do a get radical that right, change. Yeah. But Audi, I think, if we look at the evolution of the cars, there are some points where they work kind of like that as well. But at the moment, it is very much they'll introduce a new element and then that will slowly come in until it reaches a point where they go, oh, actually, we're going to change this element a little bit like this and roll with that for a little bit. It isn't a hard design language change like what some other brands do where it is just, oh, we'll flick a switch. We're going to, you know, we're going to throw everything out of the last ones where except for maybe a little bit of the grill and start all over again and it's going to take another five six years where one product looks really really old because it's still stuck in the old design language even though there's three to four years <laughs> of its cycle left um yep i know we're talking about europeans but um <laughs> poor uh actually i quite like this design but the current hyundai elantra um it's got a very faceted surface surfacing at the moment it looks it looks completely out of step with everything else, but you look at the new Elantra uh, that was just released in the US. Oh, they the showed I-30 some. Sedan? Yeah. yeah, man, that is a good-looking car, and you can see the you can see the progression from the previous Elantra to the current one, which is a bit of a um, a like bit a of a design flight. orphan, and then the flow to the next one. What? Hey, who said that? The the Elantra looks a little bit like a, you know, the early Ford Taurus, where it's like very slopey. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just very sad. 
It's fine. Yeah. It's very harsh. <laughs> Depends on the angle. It looks, <laughs> and, and in some some of the, uh, I'm just pulled up Google at the moment, and in some photos actually make it look like a Toyota Camry, which I don't know is it compliment or if it's a. Well, if it's the new it's Camry, a, it's definitely a compliment because yeah, the yeah. engine. My God, it's the no, best looking sure Camry I've ever had. Exhaust in some of those. I don't understand that there'd be enough power to justify quad exhaust on some of these i thought i saw one and i thought it was a joke and then i realized that it was factory because i saw multiple ones with it i'm like that doesn't make oh the cameras yeah yeah but But there's a lot of there's a lot of um design language coming across from uh genesis in that new uh, i30 sedan it's um you know there's bits and angles there that you look at it and and it's very genesis and that that rear three-quarter um angle on that with a little bit of height the, the back end is so good. The lines and everything around the lights and that boot lid. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a yeah, great looking there's a, car. There's a lot of detail in it. And it's, if you look at that and then have a look at the picture of the, uh, the rear shot of the current Elantra. Um, I drove the Sport a couple of months ago, which I quite liked. It's the same 1.6 turbo um, DCT transmission that, that's in the Serato GT as well. But you have a look at the rear of those. And I don't know what happened with those tail lights. It looks mm, indecisive, I think is probably yeah. the best way to put it. But I, I really like the faceted kind of details that are on the front end of that. But I think a lot of cars do end up getting stuck in that sort of um, little bit of limbo in between the the new transition to the design language, which we're seeing coming through with yeah. uh, not just the i30 sedan slash Elantra, but also the Sonata, which should be coming out soon. Um, has that same sort of crystal, I think they call it crystal something or other. So the sort of faceted sides and lots of triangular shapes and and detail on the surfacing. Um, yeah, unfortunately, the current Elantra Sport is kind of stuck in that limbo. Though one brand, and it's funny because it's part of it, is, um, is Genesis. So just on Monday, they did the official reveal of the new G80 sedan and we spoke about it we seem to be talking about genesis a lot but i think it's justified where we thought that the gv80 suv looked a little bit like the you know looks like a bentley but Mm. holy dooly does the g80 sedan it it looks fantastic it is beautiful it almost looks like if bentley were to make a like a fastback sedan yeah i've got this a bit of an a5 sort of vibe out of it yeah but just bigger just looks. yeah it looks heavy um which i think for a car like that you kind of it, it just looks solid but the design yeah. language is perfect it still it looks like bentley but it still retains that genesis taste to it which i think they've done a really good job at but yep. also I'm not sure about the brown interior. So if you haven't seen photos, I'd highly recommend looking <laughs> them up. But I'm not sure why they really went with the brown interior oh. for the hero photos. I think going for a lighter look like the SUV would have been a better choice. But um, it still you know, looks um, amazing. Americans love that brown two-tone. Oh, yeah. I, I call it the Chupa Chup interior because it looks like the chocolate and chocolate and vanilla Chupa Chups. So they got like the dark <laughs> yeah. chocolate on the bottom and the light yeah. chocolate on top. Yeah. They they love that stuff. I, I I don't get it. Like you see it in the um, uh, I'm trying to think what it was. Now I did see one product where they've got a lot of brown plastic on the inside, but yeah. it's kind of like the it's the favourite trim in in the US, 
whereas we just option we usually just get black or black with with cream seats or something yeah. like that but yeah. um yeah they love that two the two browns they it never seems to work out for me though yeah. the um but, one of the standout things with this new g80 and it's it's the first time i've seen anybody really talk about it so we know that rolls royce used gps to know when to downshift when to come into corners or hills or anything like that yeah it uses dynamic yep. um gear changing to make the driving experience smoother but for me driving as many cars that i have one of the big pain points when having adaptive cruise control is that it's really it it has improved but a lot of them are still very jerky they're not very um i'm gonna say they don't anticipate so if you're going to change lane sometimes they'll wait until you're completely out of the way and then realize there's nothing in front and then accelerate or they'll take yep. off really sluggish, et cetera, et cetera. But this is the first time I've seen any car manufacturer actually talk about building in machine learning into their adaptive cruise control, which actually yep. learns your driving characteristics. So if you'd like to take off from the lights like a bat out of hell, well, it will slowly learn that, well, if you're driving with adaptive cruise engaged, well, it should do that too. Um, but it will pick up on how you drive and adjust its driving characteristics in lane control and adaptive cruise control and everything like that to make it feel like you're doing the driving, which for some people, I'm sure some of them are going to go, that is an awful idea. You know, well, their partners anyway are saying that's an awful idea. They drive like a maniac. Act, adapt, I prefer the adaptive oh, cruise control. I wouldn't like to ride drive. in a car where I'm driving. That's crazy. No, that's <laughs> I've, right. I've seen the faces on my passengers. <laughs> but if I can, for me anyway, if I can be using adaptive cruise control and know that it's going to drive in a similar manner as me, if I'm going to change lanes or, or decide to you know do a particular maneuver, if I know that the adaptive cruise control is going to do that in a similar manner... I'm going to have a lot more confidence in the system. So now we won't know how dramatic that adaptive cruise control will be with that machine learning. I doubt it's going to be a huge, it's going to be a huge dramatic change, but it's certainly a pretty cool first step, particularly when we're not fully there for self-driving cars, right? It's kind of like a happy medium where yeah it's a little bit more like you driving it's a bit smarter in that way um but it's kind of cool i'll be i'll be interested to see what sort of level of influence it does provide with the with the machine learning because obviously like you said now there's a few um parameters that need polishing around um uh, about uh with smart cruise control and lane keeping assistance and all that sort of thing um but there is the um you know, it's a bit of a thin end of the wedge where we start relying and, you know, it goes with that saying of um, familiarity breeds contempt. If we start thinking that a computer can, uh, can do things for us, we start paying less attention. And I had this discussion with somebody um, just yesterday, actually, about the things that the level of autonomy currently available, available in cars can actually do at the moment is not the hard stuff, it's the easy stuff. There are a few things they can do better, like Teslas look a couple of cars ahead and can see when another car breaks before the car in front of you even puts their brakes on. So your Tesla can already be braking. Mm -hmm. you know, that's that's a great feature, which 
That's what works my mom a... always told me when I'm learning how to drive. Don't look at the car in front. Look at the car yeah, in look, front of yeah. the one in front. <laughs> yeah, that's right. you're always going to be looking up. Keep your vision up and looking way further and forward. But Audi's working on the same sort of technology, and I'm pretty sure I think one of the US brands is doing the same thing and, and having mm. this ability to all communicate together and be able to have that kind of information being fed back to, to the car you're driving. But this is – but this – isn't really a concept that's really new and so there's two trains of thought that i think one why bother if we are getting closer and closer to self-driving cars why put the effort into a machine learning algorithm for adaptive cruise control when we're going to possibly reach a point where there's nobody going to be driving it anyway to learn driving characteristics from the other side of it is um bmw connected drive before it was connected drive was this concept. I still have the, the BMW magazines from when I was growing up where they were talking about their concept was each car communicated what was happening and the, all, every single car was on the same network. So if there was a traffic jam, each car down in along that, you know, that line of traffic would know. It was just that the technology wasn't really there. But what's funny is that we're not really seeing those brands and it wasn't just BMW that had those concepts but those brands that were talking about that aren't really on the forefront of this type of technology right now which I thought was interesting no well the uh, your mum was on the ball um, particularly about looking two cars in front and the inability for cars to look two cars in front at the moment and which is essentially the thing that distinguishes us distinguishes um, human drivers from from um, autonomous driving is that you know we can look at things and assess a whole bunch of different things at once we can't see everything at once like a like a machine can but you can watch the behavior of a vehicle you can look in the driver's side of a car and see if somebody's putting their makeup on or trimming their mustache or you know reading the paper or whatever they're doing and you can have all that sort of stuff in your head and make judgments about um, how much caution you need to pay to the to that vehicle or the other one or you can see somebody weaving through traffic and being difficult and you can know how that person is behaving and essentially you know apply some social distancing if you will <laughs> cars you know cars can't do that sort of stuff the ability to do that sort of thing and you know like you're talking about with the connected driving with bmw the concept is that all cars can talk to each other but you don't have the communications standard that allows vehicles to do that outside of their own manufacturers no uh, so am i still there yep yep uh, yeah sorry i just hit the wrong button um so you know that it, it's the same thing everybody's working on the same goal in different directions so you've got a whole bunch of different companies all working on autonomous driving and they're all trying to crack that nut themselves they're not really doing a, a good enough job to be able to work together because, you know, it's the perception that the autonomous car has, the ability to use its senses and interpret the environment that is going to be able to make it do autonomous driving correctly. So well, if you can get... People like Apple are working on, is that maybe the systems are building and, and then going to sell that to car manufacturers? We know that for, a year, for years now that Apple have been working on a secret car project Google even with Waymo, they're autonomous driving. Is, is it something that we're waiting for someone to get autonomous driving right and then either to, to license it to other manufacturers to go, here, we've got a great product that's already working, stop spending your R&D, just implement this? Or 
is it even yeah. someone? And I'd probably I'd, see, I'd, expect to see this from Tesla going. Here's an open stand. Here's an open standard for everyone to use to be able to communicate between vehicles. Yeah, because they're already connected okay. via CarPlay or 5G or, or something like that. Um, that you can keep building your autonomous system, but here's an open standard to you know to be able to take in information coming in from the other vehicles around you. Yeah, essentially, I, I, I do believe that is, that is what's needed so that you can, all the cars around each other already know exactly where the other car is. I mean, that's the the ability of computers is they can think about all those sorts of things fast enough. The problem is they don't have the sensors required to be able to make that perception, interpret that real world environment, and then turn it into a situational awareness for the computer to make judgments about what to do. If they don't have to do all that additional computing of saying, okay, it's over there, it's this far away from me, I'm doing this speed, that one's doing that speed, and there's you know X, Y, Z in between us. If they don't have to do that little bit of calculation, they can use just position reference given to them by other vehicles to immediately say, okay, this is my position, this is my little bubble, you're not in my bubble, I don't have to worry about it, I stay out of your bubble and it's all just basically computing, keeping them all away from each other. But in order for that to happen, it's not just a matter of um, enabling that capability from a technological perspective, the entire fleet needs to be able to perform in that manner to enable that capability. The reality is people can't afford to buy that sort of level of complexity in their automotive purchases. Mm. So you've still got to make, right now, you have to make autonomous vehicles still be able to do that interpretation of their environment, work out their situational awareness and make judgments based on that. So when the fleet updates, the capability will be able to be enabled, but it, we're still so far away from, from that type of um, upgrade that it's still warranted to have that kind of machine learning. And even with that machine learning, and I know Jaguar had this, um, uh, we're talking about this a a few months ago, where they're actually using driving data from your vehicle. So you can opt in and provide your driving data to Jaguar, which they then use for um, assistance in um, allowing vehicles to interpret environments. So for example, they know what the traffic flows are like. They know that when you go up hills that the engine needs to use this amount of power to get up that hill. And then that goes to those other things you're talking uh, about before where the um, transmission can start doing preemptive things rather than being reactive to the environment. And that has a whole host of benefits that go with it. So I know they were talking previously about the somebody threw up a number and they probably threw it up because it sounds cool, but 1 billion miles of development data is what's required to be able to enable um, the level five autonomous driving where you just turn up to your car, do your little line dance in the in the car park trying to get the door to open for you. Mm. You just get in and say, okay, Tesla, take me to Bowen Hills or whatever. And yeah, that's, that's probably the level part of the reason why Grail. Tesla has, appears anyway appears to be a lot further ahead in in their pursuit for that autonomous driving. It's because every single vehicle that is out on the road is sending that data back. Whether the, the owners are aware of it or not, that data is going back to Tesla and they, you know, they're learning from it. There's plenty of examples. I, I listened to another podcast, um, which is the This Week in Tech, and Leo Laporte, had a Model X, and for some reason the car went forwards when he thought he put it into reverse, 
And he called up Tesla and, and he said, oh, yep, around about this time. And, and, and the support person on the phone said, oh, actually, I can see that you put the car into the wrong gear. It wasn't the car. You selected drive. <laughs> that's right. And it was just like, wow, gee, that's A, that's a bit freaky if you don't realize that they you know, they have the ability to capture all of that information in real time. Yep. It's not even if you go into the service dealership and, you know, they plug into the black box and, and you can download the data from then. Um, but it's also, it does give the advantage that, well, they can accelerate their their development on autonomous vehicle ability oh, yeah. because they're Fantastic data because, collection. Exactly. Even if you're driving the car, it's taking, and, and it's it has all of that sensor data always active so it means that they're able to take and you go oh okay so in this situation we detected three cars around you and you applied the brake when this particular one decided to veer or or whatever okay cool mm. let's feed that into the algorithm so when there is nobody driving in a car acts in a similar manner well you should behave like this should yeah so yeah. there is a i think Place people like Tesla are going to get there a lot faster because that data is just a lot more freely available to them. Um, I'm not surprised that things like Google um, with Waze and Google Maps could get to a similar level because even then they're not capturing the vehicle data itself. Um, they they have a lot more information on traffic flow and how many people they know that well this this user is traveling at this speed in this direction and we've got 10 other users around them. So you can yep. start to make some assumptions about, you know, that behavior. Um, but it's one of those things where we have these autonomous vehicles, but at least in the meantime, we still have some exi exciting performance vehicles coming. Um, so for us that love to drive still and not fully ready to submit to our robot, robot overlords, um, we do have some exciting cars coming, like, and this is a hell of a segue, um, like the Toyota <laughs> GR Corolla coming to Australia. Yes. Um, so it's one of those things that I know that Hyundai have kind of identified this market as well, where it seems to be a bit of a hotspot where car makers want to take in and, and kind of do what Subaru did with, what, with the WRX and bring a really exciting rival type of a car into that space because obviously they're thinking that, well, we're getting further and further down the road with autonomous driving and driver assistance in there um, that, you know, we need exciting, small, affordable cars like the GR Corolla. And if you're not sure about the GR Corolla, so Toyota say, it knows that there is a there is a market for a fire breathing Subaru WX rival. So this is what you know. This is coming from Cars Guide, um, and so it's a 1.6 liter turbocharged three cylinder engine that produces 200 kilowatts and 370 newton meters of torque, which is pretty bloody good for a car like that. Well, yeah, the market's it's... call the market's calling for. I mean, the the success of the i30N um, and Obviously, the WRX and its history. Um, obviously, you know Renault has been doing pushing into that market as well. Toyota, we've been waiting for this for since the last generation of of Corolla when you know they started talking about that. I mean, I remember the days of when Toyota used to compete in the Australian Rally Championship with their um, with their 
that new Corolla at the time then, and we were hanging. That would have been the perfect car to, for to her to bring out then, would to, to have this kind of car hit the market. Um, because, oh, and the Bateses know, were winning everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. And that would have been fantastic to to have that car in the market. So I'm g- glad that there's talk and particularly exciting um, that Australia, Toyota Australia has trademarked that GR Corolla name. I mean, that that's great news. So, look, take as long as you need to bring it to Australia, Toyota. <laughs> we'll, we'll wait. <laughs> right uh, now, immediately. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we'd love to have it there. But if you need to take extra time, then that's fine. We'll wait. But if you're bringing it, can't wait for it to get here. I mean, we've already seen the... The, the Yaris coming, but yeah, to have the Corolla version. Um, I mean, I I know that they do a wagon uh, Corolla overseas. Uh, Stop! I I would love to see a Corolla <laughs> GR wagon. How good would that be? You know, oh, that's, that's a bit smaller than the, the the Commodore Mix, so you know, could be the perfect uh, um, uh, school yep. drop off car for the wife, and then a great week car for the weekend for I was you. Say it, it probably delivers power a lot more. Um, in a way that slams the seat, it's probably better on fuel economy and it probably keeps everybody happy with being able to do the school run. So I think it's a win-win-win. Oh, what is time. going on with a 1.6 giving out 200 kilowatts? That oh. is crazy talk. That is that is a lot. I mean, you, you get the same thing out of the i30N's 202 kilowatts out of a 2-litre. Man, that it must sound amazing, a triple. It must be revving pretty hard for a 1.6 turbo. I, I'm not just excited for GR Corolla, but um, Gazoo Racing, the GR brand for Toyota, mm. Toyota itself. Yeah. Um, you know, the statement I got from Toyota when I asked them about uh, there was some middle of the road Camry upgrade they were doing in the US, and uh, I talked to Toyota Australia about it and said, "Oh, is there any chance of this coming to Australia?" Blah blah blah, and they said, "No, it's not good enough." Yeah. So. Well, that's not the exact words they used. They said, uh, you know, the Gazoo Racing um, brand in Australia is going to be um, reserved for products that have significant performance uh, increases over the base model product. So it will need to be able to meet a stringent, you know, set of standards before we consider putting it into the GR brand. As soon as I heard that, I thought that's that's great to have. You know, they people can say they have policies and things like that, but they've been quite open about that statement. Um, for I've seen a few people ask that same question, and that that bodes well for um, for the Gazoo Racing for the GR brand, and you know obviously that pairs up with the rest of the Gazoo Racing that um, goes on around the world as well. Multiple Le Mans winners. Um, well, I think it. I think it shows rally. that Toyota is enter, entering a in general is entering a, a completely different phase of the brand we've got them pushing further and further into their hybrid technology with more and more models the rav4 hybrid is still it's hard to buy one um right now or it's probably easier right now but in general it it has been hard to buy but at the same time the senior toyota leadership over in japan is obviously showing that they are passionate about cars they are passionate about performance because we're seeing this return to this almost like a focus on delivering performance variants as well just as much as you know having a corolla hybrid well let's see as much as we're focused on an economy focused vehicle we're also not totally ignoring the other side because this thing what they're saying it's not confirmed but this this Corolla GR could very well have um, all-wheel drive as well. 
I'd so, like to see that. That'd be like, pretty um, cool. How amazing would that be? And no doubt would see that, you know, that type of thing translate more and more into rally and, you know, where Hyundai has had great success in that space. So it's kind of like with Hyundai, with their N vehicles, and, and we'll talk we'll touch on it when we start talking about some international news. But, um, mm. but even if we saw, you know, when Hyundai Australia did the, uh, the, was it the, the IMAX N, their yeah. N variant or um, the, what was it called? Um, yeah. World Time Attack. Um, so they did a, they actually entered this special bus where they completely fitted it out. They, they dumped in, um, no one will confirm it, but basically a Kia Singer engine um, from the Hyundai group in inverted commas. G70. Um, <laughs> but the, yeah. they put that engine in, they kept everything in there, put a roll cage, painted it in the end colors, and created this monster of a car because they want to create some excitement around that as much as they are about practicality, affordability, we also have some – we're taking some of that prowess and going, well, we can also do a performance car too. So we can, we can also have a little bit of fun. We can give something that will – attract those performance oriented people but also give um almost like a halo product across different price points you know i think to look forward to it'll be interesting how long they can you know obviously they're just at the start of bringing out um a raft of performance variants um they obviously went quiet for a few years and did some um i guess they were saving their bickies you know, not doing anything too risky, not doing anything too high performance, nothing particularly spectacular. They just did a yeah. lot of, you know, I'm sure they'll excuse me for saying white goods, but essentially they were just putting stuff out the door that anybody could pick up and drive with because they were just, you know, like a default choice. I had a Corolla last time. I buy another Corolla. Not so much comparison, but they were just getting stuff out the door and they, mm. you know, they've dominated the Australian market for, you know, the last six years pretty significantly, probably longer. Um but, you know, most brands kind of do that. The Kia and Hyundai did the same thing. They were very uh, conservative with the products that they bought in for for quite some time. And then all of a sudden, you know, sort of 2017, it was just like fire everything. You know, here comes the Stinger. Mm. Here comes the i30N. Um, Veloster came out in a lot more um, uh, competent product. They were starting to do things that were a little bit more risky. Even the Soul, which you know wasn't a particularly spectacular performance type model, it was, you know, it was a bit of a weirdo in the market. They were, they were doing things that weren't expected. They were being more courageous, but they only did that after they spent ten or fifteen years saving up their bickies, getting enough money to be able to cover the risk and release some things that create some interest. So you know the Toyota's kind of done the same thing. They got away from uh, doing all their performance stuff, like you know the the rally all poor, all poor GTR, um, sorry GT4 Celicas and stuff like that. You know that crazy stuff they were doing in the 90s. Mm. That all died off. They started doing pretty ordinary stuff for the sort of last 10 or 15 years, and now all of a sudden they've saved up enough bickies to take some risks as well. And that sort of thing is certainly grabbing our attention so gr corolla yes please you know gr yaris sure what else what else can they offer us start throwing it because they've you know they've earned the opportunity to be able to take some risks now and i want i want to see some risks absolutely and, and we hope that it uh the, the one thing through that time they've built up this these reputations for reliability and dependability 
And yep. the advantage is that hopefully it should absolutely translate into these cars as well um, in going that you can buy this completely bonkers three-cylinder engine outputting 200 kilowatts, but going to know that it's end up going to be fairly bulletproof or you're yep. going to have enough backing that the, the brand is competent enough to, to actually acknowledge and to fix if something does come up um, because they, you know, they're striving that they still want to achieve that reliability. Um, yep. So it, it's just so cool to see these brands that either, you know, Toyota didn't really have a personality for a little bit of a while um, coming back with, you know, with these cars that is all of a sudden going, hey, look, yeah, we're cool too. Same with Hyundai, same with Kia, with, yeah, just coming, you know, bursting onto the scene with this personality that is translating into these really cool products. It's just, it, it, it like, yeah. So it's going yep. to be very cool to see. Can't wait to learn more. I think the market, we'll have to see the next six months of, you know, how warm people are going to be following oh, what we've gone. People probably either going to be, it's going to be very conservative or people are just going to be cooped up for, for six months stuck in the home. And the next thing they want to go is the other want to go on an international trip or buy a ridiculously, you know, out there sports orientated yep. car because they need to let loose. Treat yourself. Um, yeah. I think the it. people in that market for that car will go, will definitely look at buying one for sure, because they have this passion. They want to be able to do it. Um, and, you know, they want to get out and drive because they haven't been able to. I think the potential for it and the market for will be, you know, will be quite good. They'll have lots of choice really have too. to do anything to these cars. Some people will always want to play with them. But unlike before, you didn't have to go to a tuning house to get this performance. You're going in and buying with your factory warranty, getting this yep. performance, which for me, I go, oh, that's kind of cool. Like I can have this thing and if it, if it breaks, well, all I do is just book an appointment at the dealership. I don't have to try and dismantle bits and try and hide the fact that, oh, yeah, it was that bigger turbo that I attached that was the thing that caused the problem. <laughs> yeah. um, and then hope that it gets covered under warranty. You know, like those sorts of things that I know plenty of people who go th through that um, whenever they decide to modify their car. And, you know, it's a constant thing of playing and tweaking with it. And some people love that, absolutely. But there's also a lot of people, like the majority of people out there who just want a great car and jump in and drive it. And that's all they want to do. Um, so it's really exciting. Who knows what price point that's going to hit at? Um, that's probably going to be the next question mark is, yes, the performance is there. People want that. But is it going to be at the price people are willing to stomach because, yeah, that's it. Always comes back down to that. Um, particularly with these, with these brands, it doesn't matter how bonkers the car is. People, it's always going to come down. Well, is it worth it for, you know, a Toyota or a Hyundai or whatever it is? Um, so they're still a bit sensitive to to what price they can charge compared to, say, Porsche with a with a GT2 RS. If it's eight hundred thousand dollars or one point two million, I think they'd sell it anyway. It doesn't really matter. Um, but when it comes to other brands, well, yeah, they're a bit more sensitive to that as much as everything else. Um, so yeah, at least there'll uh, be a, there'll be a lot of hype around that space. The hot hatch space is um, got a couple of heroes coming. So obviously, Ford Fiesta ST has just arrived. Absolutely. Uh, recently, um, same thing. Three banger, sort of one point five, I think, turbo, but same sort of thing. Small package, a lot of fun. 
um, that and the Yaris as well, all fighting each other. It should, you know, sort of at least generate a lot of interest in that space. Hopefully, they get a lot of sales out of it because, you know, a, a dollar a litre fuel is not going to last forever. So if you're no. going to get out and have fun, <laughs> surely right. a 1.6 or a 1.8 turbo is going to be, um, you know, a little bit more affordable to get out and have fun with than what it is mm. with the with the bigger turbos. Yeah. Anyway. All right, well, let's, uh, let's move on to some international news. There is certainly, um, even though a lot of factories are shut down, uh, we still have a bit of news flowing out. Um, one surprising one is that General Motors and Honda are going to be working together, um, building a couple of electric vehicles. Who would have thought? <laughs> yep. So I assume Honda's going to be doing the right-hand drive versions. And... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, no. There you go. Yeah, no. So, yeah, two. According to the article, we're looking at on driving. Ca, where um, it's the vehicles are going to be based on the flexible EV platform um, that includes their Ultium battery. So that's their proprietary technology, and um, but the design of the vehicles itself will be done by done by honda so the platform will be engineered to support the you know the honda's driving character so i don't know how much what that means in terms of how much effort they're going to have to put into to the development but um it's certainly uh you could almost say it's a bit of an unlikely partnership yeah look they it was an interesting statement you said a honda driving character what i'm not sure what that is these days but um Having not driven, have you guys driven the um, Hondas recently? No. Uh, what have I chance. driven? What have I driven recently? Um, CRV. Um, uh, what was it? The Accord. Accord? No, I w- want to drive Accord. I really like mm. the look of those. Civic. Um, uh, but it was the Civic uh, sedan, which I really liked. That thing was really, really cool, and uh, I love the look of it. Um, it's another one of those. I mean, who knows now with obviously Honda's decision moving forward and, and their range, but I'd love to see them do... I've got a mate of mine that's got a Type R Civic and I said mm. to him some pictures of the um, sedan when I drove it, said this would make an awesome Type R. You know, they obviously have it as a... Um, uh, as it's based off the, the Civic hatch, but the sedan, really good-looking car. It was in that beautiful bright orange as well. So that was an impressive impressive thing to, to spend some time in. How they drive though? What do you? What did you think? Are they? I, I, I guess I can't really say from afar, but I kind of got the impression that they were kind of heading for the American market, so a bit more softly sprung than um, than some other things yeah, that are on the market like, at the moment. There wasn't anything like generally when I've driven most of these things, it hasn't been for a huge amount of time, but just spending some time in it, there was nothing that I can remember taking away from it that said to me, I mean, bother infotainment system is not the best thing in those things and anything now that i think is a as a necessity needs to have carplay because then you literally can just plug in your phone and or android auto and and have yep. the, the system based on your device and you just everything's similar um but i think from from memory the there was nothing that stood out as being a you know like it was it was noisy or it didn't handle i think from my feel so nothing it was, stood out no, nothing stood out that it was a, oh, I've got to have this. 
Uh, it was more, you know, I, I kind of get that feel more these days from Hyundai's and Kia's that uh, uh, they all, you know, they drive well, they feel, they handle the road well, um, mm. you know, th- those sort of things. It wasn't anything that, it was like never nothing really negative about it, but there wasn't anything that stood out and said, wow, this is a great car. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah so I'm wondering really- what the, you know, the, the partnership between GM and Honda, and I mean, they talk about, Achieving economies of scale, which obviously is um, the necessary benefit from any partnership. But um, now here for us, I, I'm not sure how much of an impact it's going to be. Good to see two companies pairing up to be able to achieve something like that, because um, you know when they work together, obviously there there are efficiencies that are ma- that are made as well. So we can get a product out more efficient. Then obviously it makes it more affordable for for the customer, and then it enables the customer to buy something more advanced with the same amount of money. You know the general idea of technological progress. Um, but yeah, still strange bedfellows, Honda and GM. I know they do. They have had some previous products in the US where GM and Honda have like rebadged things but I would never have put those two together without seeing the article it doesn't um, doesn't make a great deal of sense having said that the technology used to be able to create these um, skateboard platforms for electronic vehicles uh, for electric vehicles I'm not sure how much difference you can put in the way that those vehicles perform because you've got a power source and you've got an electric battery uh, sorry an electric motor they just kind of do what they do the only efficiencies you can make is in the transmission of power from the battery to the motor and the um you know i guess the thermal efficiency of the of the motors themselves there's there's not a great deal of characteristic that that goes in like normally you'd um so for example you know you've got the bmw based supra has a bit of a bmw feel to it which is kind of unavoidable um based on its mm. where it's come from but they've obviously tried to put some um, Toyota sporty character into it as well. You won't well, be able to do those sorts comes, of influences with EVs. Our, it comes back to our discussion last week where it's these electric platforms mean that it doesn't really matter if the left-hand or right-hand drive. It's just it's fairly modular in how you do it. And yep. that's probably where the advantage of GM and Honda are coming together is going, well, this... Uh, you know, Volkswagen already uses this a lot within their group of brands. You know, the the vehicle platforms which they develop, they build all sorts of vehicles on top of because they're very modular. But um, with EV, particularly for Honda, yes, they lean in a lot into the American market, but they still have a, a fairly sizable international market as well, which GM has walked away from. For sure, yeah. So it also could be GM's way of keeping a finger in and seeing how that development between right-hand, left-hand drive. Yeah, true. Uh, yep. Who knows the, the justification? Because GM have been working on it. You know, Surely it's it's using their their platform and their battery technology, but it also makes me question well, why they're doing it outside of maybe Honda approaching them because GM, this isn't... It's not like they're new to electric cars. They've they've got a, a number of different vehicles, particularly in America. We've, we saw the Volt here in Australia originally. Um and so it's not like they're brand new and, and needing to partner with someone to to get over a particular learning curve pretty quickly. So it, it, it's interesting to see if there is any other alter, you know, any ulterior motive for General Motors doing this deal outside of perhaps just supplying 
um, Honda with a platform to develop a couple of vehicles with. Even going that way, like Honda Insight, you know, the, mm. the original hybrids, they've been in the hybrid electric space for so long too, Honda. I don't know why That's they need true. to rely on somebody else to come up with that. Um, There's obviously technology. something that they're working in the tech that is obviously allowing for them, well, to, has decided to, for them to get together to, to create this program. There's yeah. got, I mean, it's like, like we've talked about before, the, the GM electric product has been, has been good and it has been strong, but there's obviously something that Honda's working on or something that has forced this decision for them to get together to try and do this. Yeah. Well, it's going to be mm. interesting times. I think we'll, we'll see, it will be a number of years before we see any fruit from it um given you know the announcement of this sure they've probably been working on it already but um but you know it's probably going to take at least two or three years to come out with a vehicle or who knows it could be sooner given that they are just building from a modular platform um but it'll just take yeah, time and then 2024 yeah so which is kind of a long time when we're talking about electric vehicles so yeah who knows? Who knows what they've got in the in the uh, in the pipeline? But moving on to the next story, this is an interesting one because this has got a lot of things tied to it. But Aston Martin has a new owner, in a way, of uh, Lawrence Stroll, or um, for, for for some younger people will we'll know as Lance Stroll's the F1 driver's dad, um, who also owns Racing Point with another group of investors. Racing Point, the Formula One team, and um, but part of that that deal, which they've finalised with Aston Martin, part of the ownership deal, is an extra injection of cash to return the Aston Martin brand back to Formula One. And so, from next from next year, the 2021 season, even with all of these delays and the 2020 season in chaos, um, Racing Point, the Formula One team, will now be known as Aston Aston Martin from uh from next year so a lot of things happening with aston martin they're getting a lot more cash and and new ownership for their road cars but also as part of that they're actually returning as a manufacturer um and not just as like a a sponsor um like they did uh, last year or i think it was even the year before that with red bull um so it's Mm. both exciting news but also um interesting to see where this new direction will go yeah, big I step. I mean, I didn't realize that Aston really needed that much capital to to help them yeah. to to continue. Yeah. I didn't realize that they were really struggling to that extent. So, well, the, uh, the number of cars they're coming out with, you wouldn't yeah. think of any issues. No, but so. I think on top of that, though, they were hurt by the decision to change the rules for um, the Valkyrie, which was going to compete at Le Mans. So they had yeah. they had based some of their projections on how many of those they would sell which would then mean that they would have um you know a better a cash flow for that so i did read somewhere that that wasn't that was a, a reason that was going to hurt them in that respect so uh, in terms of that it, it is, it's interesting seeing that aston martin moving from from red bull to you know which effectively to to a new team um into yeah. you know running at the this, front of the pack to running it sort of below or oh the mid-pack the tail well, exactly. the, mid-pack too, really. the article um 
quoting from from Lance Stroll was saying that they need to be competitive from the outset, and I don't know what the impact of the shifting of regulations for Formula One will yeah. impact that because for an for a new team, and I say quotes because it is just a rebranding of Racing Point. Yeah. Um, it kind of feels like a wasted amount of investment in a another year of the same regulations when you know that there's new regulations coming, which will give you the advantage of caps on the amount of R and D and development that you can do. So it kind well, of feels things, a bit odd that twenty twenty one rather than twenty twenty two when these new regulations come in. That would have made more sense for me. It's like a new start, new regulations, new team, rather than coming in at this really awkward time of well, it's a final year of regulations, and you know, it, it it's not like yeah, it's not going to be like a brawn kind of situation where it's no because regulations it's, and it's different in terms of what what's going to happen, but yeah. in terms of what you get, we're going to see. The having this stability within the brand for for Aston for them will enable them to work closer with the team. Um, mm-hmm. I know Aston we're talking about creating their own engine, so this allows them a, a longer. Now that it's been the tech rules have been delayed for another twelve months, it'll be interesting to see what they do. You're right; it's not it's not a brawn situation where they were very smart and were able to come out of the the remnants of what Honda. Um, team had been and and to create this super team for 12 months uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do um, you know the racing point themselves you know they're not they're not a bad team there is no. potential there they've got some really good drivers um, they've got some um, some great team members in there so I think it, it'll be interesting to see um, what they what comes of this particularly now with this you know everything being forced into to hibernation effectively with um them having to delay the season it'll be interesting to see what they come out of and, and what next year brings but then i think if if nothing happens straight away the new regulations what they hit they, they this could be a team to watch i think in in the future well it's I think um, the brand too is going to you know they they're one of the few that doesn't have um, a really competitive SUV at all. So getting getting their um, their SUV up and running, that uh, I think it's the DBX. Actually, it says in the article about yeah, DBX. getting DBXs yeah, up yeah. and running. Um, that is a pretty damn good looking SUV. That's mm-hmm. a great looking thing. Early years have been really good that, too. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's. Well, I hope that turns them around. I hope that really gets them on the front foot and gives them, um, you know, a lot of momentum to be able to to come out swinging again. And even when they get around the success to success of the Aurus, who would have thought the Lamborghini SUV would be selling in the volume that it would be? Oh, it, it's when I the, see so when many the Porsche Cayenne come out, I was just yeah. like, please, oh, that was a, that nobody's going to buy that piece of crap. It's one of the biggest sellers. The SUVs are some of the biggest sellers for these brands now. The Cayenne absolutely basically saved Porsche. Save Porsche massively. You know, the Urus has done a heap for Lamborghini. The DBX will probably be a similar thing. You look at the Mentega for Bentley. Um, you look at the one of my favorite SUVs is the, um, uh, is from Maserati. The, you know, the, those things are just are absolutely brilliant. And I think the DBX will oh, be, yeah, a, will be Levant, a, Levante. 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 Yeah, the Levante. Levante. I love it. I drove one late last year and it's the most. Oh, it was just brilliant. I love it. And the sound in them are amazing. And 
you know, they you can take them off road. Um, Rolls have proved that with the with their one. Um, but I think the biggest advantage that Aston have now that they're they've got this massive cash injection is Andy Palmer is a brilliant CEO for that brand. He has so much passion for the brand. Um, you know, you only have to follow him on Twitter just to see the the kind of um, conversations he has with fans and 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 owners and stuff like that so i I think really think they're going to be someone to really watch over the few years you know with this um this this new investment and what they'll do and seeing them back into motorsport effectively and i think they'll have even more probably involvement i think it's 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 great for the brand yep still it's racing point but yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> only only until next year, and then it becomes Aston Martin. So yep, yep, yeah. So I'm just I'm just looking through the um, the sales figures, the VFAX, because I thought, oh, well, let's let's see what numbers um, these ultra uh, can we call them ultra luxury or just luxury sports SUVs? I'm not sure how you classify them because. An X7, I don't really put in the same, you know, bin as the Urus, but they they they're lumped into the same. Um, well, they're over a hundred thousand dollars, I think. That's yeah, kind of where your luxury SUV so, kind of. But so in March alone, Lamborghini sold nine Urus vehicles, which is insane, um, compared to ten Mercedes G-Class wagons. Um, which is G63. So even who would have thought that a a, a Lamborghini Urus would be outselling a G-Class like that and even outselling the Bentayga. So it's um, I think there's definitely some promise in that space that, um, yeah, they could be onto something. I think that, like I said before, the early reviews are very positive. Um, And so... It's uh, we hope it does well because Aston Martin are making some of the best looking sports cars at the moment. So, um, and I don't think anybody wants to see Aston Martin in financial turmoil because it's just it's a classic brand that would be sad to to leave, really. Yeah, very much yeah. so. Um, but talking about really good looking performance SUVs. April Fools, I don't know. I think this was more cruel than a good joke. Where Hyundai in America, they have a SUV called the Palisade, which is a larger SUV. We don't have it here in Australia, but um, over in America that they do. And for April April Fuel, April, oh sorry, April Fools, <laughs> they um they thought it was funny to tease everybody with a Nexo and a Palisade and and a Prophecy and so the three different models. And these photos, holy cow, they look incredible it was almost like a a why don't we have it here in australia b (laughs) they should actually be making this because it's just looks incredible um and c again all of the above why not um i think that uh, that middle one the nexo um i think that's going to be a pretty important space coming up as well i mean we already talked about the um you know the gr um products that are coming and the Fiesta ST and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. The performance performance SUVs really haven't happened yet. And this size, like around the Nexo, so it's, what's that, Sportage size, something like that? Yeah. Tucson. So they were, I mean, there's been talk about the 
uh, the Tucson N coming as well. Um, this is a good-looking product, the Nexo. I mean, oh, obviously, oh yeah, we don't have that one. But uh, I would really like to see something in that performance SUV kind of space because this... In the affordable oh, SUV. Like, we've got plenty of, like, even... Yep. BMW X5, M, M50i, the AMG, GLE models from Mercedes. So there's plenty in that yep. next, you know, pseudo, not Lamborghini, Porsche level, but that kind of that space no. just below well, it. But in terms of p- affordable, like we've got Nissan, we're talking about like the N-Track and the N-Sport, but that's just body kits, not performance. Yeah, the, the ST, the, the so the, the Escape ST is quite good. Um, mm, yeah, I haven't seen it. So the new one's coming out soon. Hopefully that'll be um, just as encouraging. But that kind of space, like nobody's really filling that space at the moment. It's no. um, it's 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 kind of wide open. I, and I guess the point is, who would buy one? I so, would. So I mean, if I want an Explorer ST, I'd love an Edge ST. You know, any, yeah, any so, of those. But you know, yeah, they, just, it, they just they just don't do it. Yeah. Well, you're looking at the people that are moving away from those. You know, me trying to get out of that Commodore at the moment, not trying to get out of it. That's the wrong way to put it because actually I quite like it. <laughs> um, my wife trying to get out of it. But when we move to that space, you know, you've got to be able to make the um, both, you know, when there's partners doing a purchase, you need to make both partners happy. I'd be a lot happier buying a um, an N-line um, Santa Fe than I would a an Active, for example, mm-hmm. or I can say Active mm-hmm. but an Elite sort of thing. So, you know, a little bit of sportiness in that SUV space would probably get both people in the purchasing decision on the same page rather than at the moment where the real argument going on and why I'm trying to get my wife to buy the Serato GT is because she wants to buy an SUV and I don't want one. Mm. But if I can find an S- uh, something like a Serato GT that's in a little bit of SUV format, that'll keep the wife happy and also keep me happy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I want a two-liter, not the one point six. So that keeps. Yeah. I know Tucson has the one point six turbo, but two-liter turbo SUV, a little bit of performance. I'd be willing to so make that thing, compromise. I shouldn't so the good say thing super about happy. Hyundai is that they tend to like this because these are great Photoshop renders. They they look really good. Um, I don't think they actually made physical vehicles. But the thing is, is that. This is a great opportunity to listen to that feedback as well of the reaction to people seeing these and yeah, potentially playing with the idea of, well, under the April Fool's guys, like, what what do you think of this? Um, and when particularly Hyundai have the engines in there, like, they do have that 3.5-litre twin-turbo V6. Um, yep. So something like that in a in a in that Palisade, which is a slightly larger SUV. And even there's, there's a whole heap of different um, engines they could go with for the, for the, like, you know, something like the, the Nexo. Um, it it kind of goes, well, it's all feasible that it could yep. be done because it is the parts exist. And so that well, get, kind of if, makes me, even if you go back. Viable. So if you go back to when we we're talking about the G70 earlier, so mm. the, um, G70 was released with the 3.5 twin turbo. We already know and love 375 horsepower. 2.2 liter turbo diesel was also floated, and also the 2.5 liter turbo, which is um, supposedly coming in the Sonata N line. That would be a great um, engine on any of those, like the Nexo or mm. 
the Tucson end line, if that's ever going to happen, that sort of thing. I mean, those things are getting, I think they're in the sort of 280, 290 horsepower sort of space. Yeah. That sort of stuff, you know, they've they've got such a wide range, like you're saying, you know, of available engines that they can use. There's surely there's something just around the corner, but, you know, we just want to see you know, it. Take the next, because it kind of looks, it looks even like a, a smidge bigger than the Kona, for example, mm. where... Yep. They have the Kona Electric. Why you, you could do like an, a Nexo and Electric, which is just a you know put big brakes on, put big fat tires on it, put, whack a body kit on, and and you know mm. up the power a little bit in terms of out of those electric motors, and you'd have a, a rocket ship of a you know yeah rocket ship of a car, but that's also you know environmentally friendly. So yeah, um, they even have the electric drivetrains available to them so i think hyundai's in a great spot that if they ever wanted to decide to do these models and even i think the the regular palisade itself that suv could potentially be coming to australia um i'd love to say that so brilliant but it would be also the perfect time to bring along an end version as well so um yeah i sometimes i get jealous of the american market isn't the nexo isn't the Nexo electric anyway? I think isn't that the, no, isn't hy- that the hydrogen? Hy- yeah, hydrogen fuel fuel tech. Yeah. So cell, cell technology, and that's that's, that's a, a whole yeah, conversation yeah, again. Totally different thing. What they're doing with hydrogen, as well as what Toyota have been doing with hydrogen, as well. It's it's very very interesting market, and uh, there's a little bit of, there's a bit of talk about it, but nowhere near as much as probably what there should be because you know the potential of what those cars can do to the market. Um, when combined with the electric drivetrain, it's, yeah. you know, it makes for very interesting. We could talk for ages future. because oh, yeah. a lot of companies that have played with hydrogen in the past, even luxury brands, BMW, still very much have hydrogen concept vehicles and models burning around, um, doing testing and 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 out and also cars that are actually out in the market. So I think everybody still sees, or car makers anyway, see hydrogen as the ultimate long term goal where yeah. you know and even in this article that we're reading uh from performance drive is saying that yeah hydrogen is the end goal but electric is merely the stepping stone and uh, kind of seeing a lot of these concepts and a lot of these programs uh, that are out there and still doing hydrogen testing and everything like that and even in europe there are petrol stations that hi- have hydrogen refilling stations um it still seems that a lot of even though they're not talking about it as vocally right now as electric, um, that it still seems to be very consciously still very much about leading into um, hydrogen at the end of the day. I was actually listening to a, uh, I was listening to a scientist the other day on uh, some news show talking specifically about hydrogen. And obviously the issue with hydrogen is you can't get as much um, power in the same amount of fuel as what you can get out of, petrol and it's also highly volatile so you know it explodes okay it's a short way to say it but this guy was talking about the fuel testing they were doing to the actual fuel tank and the level of um, testing they go to is pretty extreme like much more stringent than what it is for fuel tank for for petrol so when you're talking about electric stuff everybody talks about electric stuff because everybody talks about electric stuff it's a self-fulfilling prophecy at the moment Tesla's doing it, 
um, you know, Tesla are probably the um, the loudest brand at the moment for anything relating to advanced technology because they've got both the electronic space and the pursuit of autonomous cars, which they're still quite a long way away from. But they're, they're the ones making the big advances and they're also the ones that are yelling the most. So they're the things that people are talking about. Meanwhile, like you say, there are many brands that are doing the, the hydrogen development at the moment, but they don't have the salesman like Elon Musk. No, no, you know, true. If, if Elon Musk started doing hydrogen stuff, it would all, all of a sudden be amazing and super interesting because, I mean, the Tesla Arty, you've seen, I mean, you've seen them on, on Twitter or Facebook or anywhere, you know, they attack anything that um, criticizes Elon Musk and support anything that Elon Musk says. It's uh, um, a bit of a cult, but he's got an amazing yeah. um, marketing machine, which are all these people that are um, following him around. So, you know, it's there's no reason why they're, they're, hydrogen they're should be when it comes to electric. They 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 aren't developing yep. any alternative um, energy for it. They are purely electric, and so when your yep. company relies on that, you have to be vocal about it. And when you've got someone like Elon Musk championing, you know, as a, as the owner and champion of that product. It has to, you have to take advantage of that because otherwise, if everybody else, you know, uh, BMW have had working seven series hydrogen vehicles for probably fifteen years now. They, there's plenty of videos, German videos, of people driving fully functional hydrogen cars, and mm. so it's not like that the, the product isn't fully there. It's not like they st- it's it's kind of it's probably more of a, a distribution network for the hydrogen and a cost thing more than anything else. I think the technology is ready for it. It's just the price isn't yep. there and, and and the way to get into people, even though we're not seeing the uh, the infrastructure rollout for electric cars here in Australia either. So that's still a hurdle um, where petrol stations would probably be if if there's a viable way to do it at a particular cost. They'd probably be a lot quicker to offer a hydrogen refueling option than they would a, an electric charger. It all depends yeah. on the the way that the tanks are set up to take the hydrogen as well, because yeah. different um, fill rates and um, pressure that hydrogen come out at. So the Hyundai and Toyota vehicles both take different um, uh, are fed differently. So mm-hmm. it's actually quite interesting to see how that works and that you can t- take so much in one vehicle, but another one won't take anywhere near as much because yeah. of the way that it feeds into the tank. So, Well, um, it's probably it's, it's at the same point where, um, where electric cars are at, where we've got, you know, three or four yeah, correct. Same, different same charging standards, rates, all that kind of thing, where no one is fully agreed. And whilst we need early adopters, we really do need people going out and buying these vehicles because the brands need the people to do the kilometers in them to get the information of how people drive them, how people use them, and to get the cost down. Um, but also, they're the ones who are going to really feel it when hopefully, fingers crossed, we get to a point where everybody can finally settle on a standard because battery charging technology is at a certain level where it's like, okay, cool. This adapter, this standard is going to work um, because everyone's hit a sort of a development point. 
um, rather than at the moment different standards have come along for the different power delivery. So hydrogen probably would have to go through that again. But if you get one particular, say, let's say you get Caltex or Mobil or Shell or pick a brand um, of oil company or um, petrol station, if one of them says we're going to roll this out, others are probably going to be inclined to follow that. And then thus manufacturers are going to be encouraged to well, offer that option or an adapter to, to make their vehicles work with that. Um, but you need somebody to take the leap first or you need um, a state like California, which tends to lead the way in a lot of these um, emissions and that kind of thing, um, come out and say, well, if you're going to build a certain type of electric or hydrogen vehicle, maybe it's you have to use this standard, um, kind of like what the Europeans are doing with the USB Type-C for the universal charging. Mm-hmm. Um you know, maybe maybe we just need someone to go, this is how you're going to do it and build your product around that. It might not be perfect for everyone, but it's going to be, it has the interest of the consumer um, first in terms of going, well, it doesn't matter what type of vehicle you buy, you can still refuel it. Um, but yeah, like I said, we could talk about that for a very long time, but I want to just, I'm conscious of the time and we've got a couple more news points to talk about. Um because there's a few interesting things coming through. Uh, one thing we did skip skip over is um, for Australian news that Mazda are entering the 100th anniversary, so they're going to bring out a whole heap of um, anniversary special edition models, whether it's a MX-5, CX-9, Mazda 2, or 3. All of the models are going to have some form of special edition. Don't know how that's going to be impacted with factories being shut down and um, the current pandemic, but... Um, keep an eye out for those special edition models that should be um, pretty cool to see pretty big milestone to celebrate as well so what are they um, I guess what's the substance to the 100th anniversary editions are we are we putting uh, stickers on things or are they offering extra <laughs> uh, it's features basically a color it's a specific color they're all going to have a um, particular color uh, which is a pearl white um, and Ooh. Now you're speaking my language, I actually. Yeah, really like so it. very similar. To, I think it's very similar to the one that comes on the MX-5. Um, they'll get 100, 100th anniversary special edition badging. Uh, the logo will also feature on front fender key fob, wheel ca- wheel caps, headrests, and floor mats. Uh, and where was it? Their color was a oh, snowflake white pearl mica with a rich burgundy interior um, trim as well. <laughs> So the same Actually, burgundy that's pretty cool. induced yeah. on the Master the 3. Photos they got ah, that, great. that burgundy that's in the Master 3 is really, really nice. It's a very nice finish. Um, uh, look, I can understand it with the white, with the burgundy, yes, but the the nicer, the nicer spec with that, I reckon, with that burgundy is like a dark blue or a black. Um, it's quite quite nice for that uh, that sort of finish. So, um, but yeah, that can be quite good. And to for those that are interested, you can register interest directly on uh, Mazda. Have a link on their website for it. Mm. Um, and just one other bit of local news: uh, Renault has done a pretty cool thing. They've extended the Colios warranty to seven years, which is good for peace of mind for everyone, uh, which is positive to see. It's kind of becoming the new standard for a lot of uh, for a lot of these brands to to go. You're gonna <coughs> typically probably hold on to that car for that for that while, so we're gonna cover that warranty for that period, um, which is a great demonstration, in my opinion, of the confidence behind the product as well. 
absolutely done um, worked miracles for for Kia. Obviously, um, the biggest um, offering for for seven year warranties. They've had it for quite a few years now, and I I think that's a um, a big driver between their uh, behind their growth. Aside from um, adding pretty um, pre- pretty good um, broad range of product as well, but for modern cars. The warranty has to be one of your major considerations. There are so many things going on in the background with a modern car that you, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that do a lot of computer-based um, tuning and a whole bunch of other stuff and repairs and things, but a lot of stuff is locked down from a, uh, a software perspective that's in the background that make your car run that you can't fix unless you're a certified repairer, and there's a whole bunch of things that you do not want to be fixing in three years time you know which used to be the old standard you know everyone used to have a three-year warranty which was considered a decent warranty yeah um you do not want to be stuck after three years trying to fix a modern car because you know i i do a lot of work in reliability and electronics are the worst they are the hardest thing to model you can't it's very difficult to predict the failure rates for anything that's got an integrated circuit so any type of computer or any type of control module or anything like that once you've got an integrated circuit in there there's so many tiny little variables that you have to try and identify to model to model the reliability of that component it's incredibly difficult so biggest warranty you can get give it to me one of the reasons that Serato GT is on the list as well is that big seven-year warranty. So good to see um, Renault. I mean, I don't want to speak badly about Renault because I haven't really driven any Renault products recently and I don't have any personal experience. I haven't heard anybody complaining about them, but the reputation for French cars in Australia hasn't been very strong for quite a quite an amount of time. So something like this, putting a seven-year warranty on it, like you said, a big confidence boost for potential buyers. It's this is a very smart move by Renault. It's mm. it's good to see that they're back in their product like this. And the Colios is such a good product as well. Like it's come a oh, long way good. since since the, the previous gen smaller one. And this <laughs> current so gen, ugly that previous. I know, one. but I, I actually <laughs> I spent some time in the current one, and I actually drove to a service station uh, late last year and, and stopped to grab to grab a drink and drove in, and didn't even realise until I parked up. I parked next to exactly the same colour as the one I was driving, a previous Gen 1. And the difference sort of in size and everything, um, amazing, and just how much nicer this current generation is now. But the biggest um, advantage now with with those is the, you know, that wonderful big screen that the Colios has had. They did an update so that the CarPlay now runs as a portrait um, and takes up that whole screen. The previous Gen... Um, wow. was only a horizontal version. The new portrait yep. one is brilliant. So it makes the full use of the screen for your, your CarPlay and Android Auto. Nice. Um, and, yeah, it's a, it's a really good-looking thing. Um, I, spent a, I spent a week in or a week and a bit driving one of them, the, the current one, around, and, and it's, such a, it, it's such a great car. Like, it drives well. Unbelievable on, on petrol, like the fuel in it. The fuel use is brilliant. We drove all the way to um, Warrnambool and back in it, and it didn't even use a full tank. Um, and we had the aircon on and everything, and it was, yeah, very, very impressive. I have absolutely no <clears throat> gauge of reference for that. How far is Warrnambool from, from oh, where sorry. you are? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, it's about three hours, a bit over three and a bit hours from Melbourne. Oh, yeah, so, okay. you know, you said yep. it's talking six hours of driving. So I reckon, mm. you know, sort of easily you could get from Melbourne to Sydney 
probably i reckon on a tank in one of yeah. those um i'd be intrigued to try it um but yeah it, it was really good on petrol uh, they're a good, good size aren't they yeah like, they're I a great like size. size yeah lots of space in it um uh, lots of room, really good second row room for people. Um, really nice with the leather, the leather finish on them. Um, and yeah, they've they've come a they've come a long way, particularly in the last couple of years in terms of the the generation from the generation before in terms of obviously the size difference. But just yeah. since they first launched this current shape, just a few little changes they've made. There's a couple of cosmetic changes in the current model. And then obviously the change with the infotainment system and putting in CarPlay and Android Auto um, has just made it, you know, that much better. And, and it's also um, now with this seven-year warranty, but, you know, it's the, can, the car that Dan Ricardo chooses to drive when uh, when he has a company <laughs> car from Renault. <laughs> Yeah, hey, look, um, I think it's um, yeah. I, I'm scheduled to to drive one in a number of weeks' time. It's a little while off, but um, yeah, I'm looking. I'm actually looking forward to it because it is a it's a good looking product. Having the warranty behind it really solidifies it. And um, yeah, Mick, I haven't really heard at all too many complaints at all of um recent Renaults anyway, no. of um any reliability issues or anything like that. So it's yeah, um, it's just one of those things in yeah. it that sort of runs on with a name just sort of continues on and you know sort of has its own life you don't really need a um uh you need to sort of update your your reference point i guess for for brands you hear about something and you just sort of you get that little bit of bias that runs with it (laughs) that's right yeah Look, um, let's let's touch on some motorsport news because that is probably the one area that is continuing to to go so um the argy sports uh had a bit of an interesting, interesting start with. Uh, I think everybody's learning how to uh, stream um, these types of series and to have things move as smoothly. So not only there was a bit of drama on on the virtual track, but there was also um, some, I guess, a bit of a learning curve for some people uh, to go through and to be able to do the actual live stream smoothly, which they they hope to have um smoothed out moving forwards but it seems to be a pretty good start for this for the series joel yeah it was uh pretty cool to watch there was a few technical issues when the guys uh first started they were having some um streaming problems i don't know how they manage how the system works um having worked a little bit in live streaming when you have an issue it can be a bit of a problem and it can you know it can be hard to fix at times um particularly with bandwidth and things like that Mm -hmm. Um, it can be you're talking like a pretty big grid as well with 52 50 odd cars yeah um (laughs) but yeah it was yeah it was huge and all round bathurst um the first race had a few had a few issues and stuff with the streaming but for the second race it was for the top 20 odd reverse grid race it was actually quite good uh it was a lot better um and it you know you if you were watching it not up close but from a bit of a distance you'd almost swear you're watching a tv coverage the the camera yeah. jump around and change was was pretty good and there's and there were replays the replays were really good to be able to watch to see exactly what you know you might like normal on normal tv you might have a flip to a camera and see someone's off or what happened there when they go back and show you and it was um mm. it was interesting it's a shame though that with the iRacing setup that they they only have the Audi in there, so um, it was quite hard to watch knowing that there were guys driving cars that you would normally see, particularly like sort of you know Will Brown that um, 
and the other guys that were normally driving Hyundai's that it was an Audi with the same paint job. So um, that was a bit weird to see. But uh, the funny thing is they had the, the commentators were Grant Rowley, who's the PR manager for um, ARG and TCR. And and then there was also Tony, Tony D'Alberto, who is normally driving the Honda Civic. And uh, they actually did a great job um, commentating on the event. But Tony made it very much his job when he was commentating to refer to the car as it would be normally driven. So guys that were driving either Hyundai's or um, uh, or Honda's or whatever else, he was referring to it as that so that you knew what it was that they would normally be driving. But it was a really quite a broad um, group of drivers. So ARG, have, what they've done is because they also look after S5000 and um, obviously TCR and, you know, the Kumo yeah, yeah. V8 yeah, series... Um, and also the new, um, oh, I've got a mental blank, Trans Am Racing series, each of those, any of those drivers could actually um, compete in it. So that was really great mm-hmm. to see, obviously, and also Touring Car Masters because Stevie Johnson was in there, um, Aaron Seaton, um, Jackson, yeah, Garth Tanner, Chelsea Angelo, she was a duck. She was a great, quite a good duck. Well, she, uh, Chelsea drove really, really well and um, had a really good second race. Barton Maher, who's an ex-World Time Attack mm. um, racer and has also raced S5000, was there. Um, Blake Bilko-Williams, who's a supercross rider, he was running as well. George Mdiki, um, Mike Sinclair from Car Sales <laughs> had a bit of a go. Thomas Randall, um, James Moffat. There was some... Big names in there, and it was really quite good to watch. So the next race is actually um, next week, uh, next Thursday again. So um, you can watch it on Facebook or YouTube. So I'm really keen to see so what what they do for um, the next round, which is actually going to be from I think from memory is Zolder in Belgium is the next is the next mm. round. Um, and it starts at 8 p.m. AST time, which for all of us, because Daylight Savings finishes this weekend, will be the same for all across the eastern seaboard. <laughs> so that makes it easier for, for anyone that's in uh, Melbourne, Canberra, Hobart, Sydney or Brisbane to know what time. Um, but yeah, it's about I mean, time you're caught up to Queensland. Yeah, exactly. You've yeah, been exactly. dragging the chain for six months. Yep. But yeah, it was, <laughs> uh, it, was, it was pretty good. So um, Trans Am... Driver Nathan Hearn was probably one of the stars of the event, um, as well as Ash Sutton and, and Rowan Shepherd. Uh, they were the guys that did uh, won the, the first two races. But Nathan, because he had such good consistency, is actually on top of the points table ahead of Young Gun, Dylan O'Keefe and, and Ash Sutton. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be good to watch. Um, supercars kick off their series very soon as well. Um, and if, you know, obviously the guys can fix this um, this streaming issue, it'll be pretty mm-hmm. good to watch on TV. It actually yeah. made for – there were lots of crashes, lots of incidents. Um, I'm not sure whether they've put up any replays as yet, but Garth Tander had a massive uh, accident. Um, and, you know, we, we, with this kind of virtual racing, we can laugh about it. We know that no one's going to be injured. Normally yep. you watch that and go, oh, how is he – you know, is he going to be okay? Is he going to walk away? Now it's, you know, it, it, everyone just has a laugh and, mm-hmm. and just laughs it off. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's watch cool that. to see. Yeah, they've got a – the replay's been put up on their, on their YouTube. So um, if you've got some time and you want to have a look, it's, it's definitely worth a bit of a watch. Yes, that's yeah. on the TCR Australia 
account on YouTube, I think, isn't it? Yeah, correct. TCR, and it's also on the TCR Facebook and um, YouTube page as well. And picking up on uh, even more big names, so we've got the Formula One, the second race of the virtual Grand Prix as well, starting at 5 a.m. tomorrow for everyone wanting to wake up for it. It's actually going to be the track um, Albert Park. So it's going to, um, because the Viet- Vietnam circuit is not available, they're going to um, do it on the Albert Park racetrack. Uh, but it's actually done pretty well because they had a, they're attracting more and more names from the actual F1 drivers coming over. I think it's Formula One has is is been a bit more um, pretentious where it's mainly the younger drivers. So for this time, we've got five current drivers of Charles Leclerc. Alex Albon, George Russell, Lando Norris, and Nicholas Latifi. Um, so they're all the young guns who are moving in and, you know, being the uh, the presence in the Formula One virtual Grand Prix. It would be nice to see, um, you know, Vettel, Hamilton, Raikkonen um, coming in, or even some other names, older names coming back uh, to race in it. But I think uh, oh, it's I'd also love another to see, thing um... to show some. Uh, I'd love to see Mark Webber come in and just run Sam off into <laughs> a grapple trap or something. That's it. Um, or even Kivyat, you know, as the... Uh, the, the <laughs> Running everybody so, into a grapple trap. Yeah. That's it, yeah. Um, but so they also... So their first race also saw a good um, a good start, plenty of action um, with a lot of uh, pro drivers, pro virtual drivers, um, participating as well because also the Formula One do already have a virtual championship as well. They had one last year, so bringing in um, some of the current Formula One drivers, I think, will give a great boost to that port. You know that part of Formula One. Um, so again, another racing series. If you're wanting to to fill up your calendar, if you're a bit bored um, on a Sunday early on a Sunday morning, if you want to watch something that's uh that's another option and and i think as this these series gain momentum and and more and more drivers are joining i think it's um it's going to be a really fun time it's, it's still i prefer to be watching the real thing but at least uh we'll get some good entertainment out of these virtual series it's kind of ironic that the only race of the year that we can well not the only but just about the only one that we could watch at a reasonable time of day is the one they stole from us, and now they're replaying it, but they're putting it on where we have to get up early. That's just just rude. But anyway. Um, Moving on, uh, last bit of motorsport news before um, we'll wrap up and let everyone get going. It's uh, the iconic 888 Sandman. So the one, uh, it was used as a bit of a development vehicle for a little while. Um, One of the coolest things to come out of... uh, uh, supercars team in a long time I would imagine feel free to correct me if there's anything else but um, but it seems to have found a new a new home someone has bought it and will be taking it home what a ripper of a car to be taking home and having in your garage yeah it's interesting to see that it um, I think it's been returned back to original spec but it was was used as the v6 turbo um, development yeah. vehicle for yep, a while as right. well um, but it's been bought by the Groves family um, Stephen and son Brenton have bought it as a effectively a bit of a swap. Brenton was driving uh, in Super 2 and has literally swapped it back and <laughs> he's given his Super 2 car back and taken away the Sandman. So um, I'd love to have been uh, anyone that's not a uh, – he's 
you know, that's involved with those guys will probably get a bit of a spin in it. Um, mm. These guys do do like to do ride days, so um, you know, I think it's uh, it's really really cool to see, and I, I hope that they get it out and use it uh, a fair bit. Um, they have said they want to do it for sponsor rides. Um, so yeah, I, I'm keen to see what uh, they do. Hopefully, they bring it to a few events and and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But it's been driven by some uh, some big names, obviously within Triple Eight. But Danny Ricardo's had a steer of it as well, yeah. and um, yeah, it's uh, it's good to see that it'll live on. And uh, whether or not they'll leave it in that Red Bull livery or do their own, uh, it's nice with that silver finish. But yeah, I'm keen really to great. see what the Groves will do it. So. Um, yeah. The, the Groves have got a good history of um, creating some nice-looking livery cars. Um, actually, most of them have been created by my mate Scotty Bjorsten from SS Media. So uh, he's always done particularly their stuff overseas when they've been running at um, overseas Porsche events. They always have a bit of an Australian flair to it. So it'd be nice to see them do a, you know, a bit of an Aussie, Aussie design flair mm-hmm. Grove Racing version of uh, of the Sandman. So let's uh, let's see what they uh, come up with. It's it's Just, probably the mo- the most iconic uh, V8 supercar that never raced. Yeah, <laughs> and it's good to see that it's going to go somewhere where it's probably going to cop not abuse, but it'll be used. Yeah, I dare say. I don't think they'll it won't just be park put it into up a and... museum. No, no, no definitely right. used, which is great to hear. Yeah. Well, look, gee, we've covered it for a, for a week that has kind of had an average bit of news. We've covered off a whole heap of things. Um, but I guess there's a couple of things left uh, to discuss. Uh, one has been the new Top Gear UK show being shown on the debut of Nine Rush, um, which starts tomorrow night. Is that, is that right, Joel? Yeah, correct. So yeah. it debuts. I did a bit of a bit of a look today just to see if you have a digital TV. I did a rescan today and it picked up the channel. Uh, so currently they're just running um, teasers for the new for the new channel on it, but you can uh, easily find it um, when you do a digital search and it, and it comes up, uh, which is cool. So it literally debuts um, seven thirty. I'm pretty sure. Um, on tomorrow night, so Sunday night, so this is, yep. compared uh, to when we're recording now on Saturday afternoon. Um, but I did actually find after our conversation from last week, I did a bit of a bit more of a deep dive, and they're actually going to have theme nights on Nine Rush. So Sunday night's car night with Top Gear and Salvage Hunters. Uh, Monday's cool. Gold Night, which is Gold Rush and Bering Sea Gold. Tuesday night survivalist night, <laughs> man versus wild, running wild with bare grills and naked and afraid. Wednesday is back to another car night with Diesel Brothers, Misfit Garage, and Kingding Customs. Thursday's broader based reality car shows like Shifting Gear and Street Outlaws. Friday's uh, Police with Live PD and Cops UK, and then Saturday's. Uh, outdoors or wilderness with alaskan bush people and alaska the last frontier so pretty cool it's going to be a very discovery feeling um channel um so i'm very keen to just to, to see what everyone thinks but the main thing we're all tuning in for will be season 27 of, of top gear um with the new hosts um which is going to be pretty exciting um the first episode is full of great uh, content. Freddie Flintoff, Paddy McGuinness, and Chris Harris are your three hosts. Um, Sabine is still going to be there for those that are a fan of Sabine Schmiz. Uh, but, yeah, the, the guys are doing a bit of a challenge uh, feel for every 
episode with some kind of um, challenge. The first one is in Ethiopia, and the guy presenters are all driving their first cars, um, which makes for some <laughs> really good hilarity. Uh, you'll actually kind of enjoy it. And then um, Mr. Harris will be driving the Ferrari 488 Pista and the McLaren 600LT. So wonderful um uh, wonderful footage there and great engine noises to to watch so yeah definitely tune in to check that out um with some great episodes coming up in the coming kind of, week kind of a sign though of um top gear's challenge now is uh the rate of which ferrari and mclaren are releasing cars and you could say that that episode's already out of date with in terms of <laughs> testing the most current version of that car well, we are seeing it delayed. It originally did go to air in June last year, so um, oh, right. it is a little bit older, um, but it is having its Aussie debut, so it's good to see that they are, and I believe they also have the next season, season um, 28, ready to watch as well. Excellent. So um, there's only five episodes in this first season or this mm-hmm. first season with these new three hosts, um, and they're is a um, Top Gear special, Christmas special as well. Uh, I think that slots in somewhere probably before 28 starts. But, yeah, it's it's a it's a good season um, for the F1 fans. Keep an eye out for the, the Lotus 79 tribute towards the end of the season. Um, the wonderful Dame LaHurst challenge is also something to keep an eye out for. Um, and, yeah, there's some, uh, there's some cool stuff coming up. Um, to keep an eye on. So, uh, up, gents. What if you were in that challenge? What would you be driving? I'd be in a 1971 Holden HQ Kingswood three on the tree sedan. Ah, nice. I'd be Your in first. a 79 TE Gem- Holden Gemini SLX in a beautiful uh, teal, tealy green metallic. Which SLX uh, but, fancy? Oh yeah. That was uh, with, with matching green interior. Still, still wish I, I had hang, hung on to that car. I would love to have had it today um, because it was in. By the engine was a bit tired. It was pretty good. My brother then drove it uh, after that. So, um, but then I'm not sure where it would be today. I think I don't think it exists. What did you have, Ash? Um, well, technically, it would be nothing. Um, I I got into <laughs> I. I st- I started reviewing cars simply because I was in uni and um, I didn't own a car and I was trying to figure out a way how could I drive a car without paying for it. And um, so, I, so I knew how to build a website and um, it took a, f- a lot of no's, but essentially it was like, well, start off, I think it was Suzuki Queensland who gave me the very first car. It was a little pink Suzuki Alto. So um, I guess <laughs> That'll do. you could that's, say that's, your answer. that's, that's <laughs> the answer. Is pink Suzuki, Suzuki Alto in pink. Um, what did you learn to drive in, Ash? Uh, so that was a BMW E46 318i. <laughs> So, um, yeah. yeah, was that owned by the family? Yes. Okay. Well, yeah, in some respects, it's a little <laughs> bit lucky for this car, but yeah. Uh, look, I'd probably, to be more interesting, I'd probably, it'd be a lot more reliable anyway, this is the Suzuki. So, mm-hmm. um, I think you know, I'd <laughs> go with that answer. <laughs> so I didn't have cruise control. That was probably my biggest bugbear with that car. <laughs> Yeah, I can't remember if my HQ had cruise control. No. <laughs> had Armstrong power windows too. I was going to say, it, 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 it was, had power cruise windows control was a brick, right? Armstrong power windows, mate. Oh, Driven Armstrong, by your arms. Oh, just like my Gemini then. Yeah. <laughs> DIY, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I had the famous 
big blue no fear sticker on the back as well. So <laughs> uh, I miss that car. No I took it, well, took it to. Took it to uh, the ski pan once, which was a bit of fun as well. <laughs> well, if um, if a new set of TV channels isn't probably going to fill in the time as well as you want, um, or if you want more car action, um, it seems like Lego has also re- released um, something to fill in time, which is the Dodge Charger, um, which was driven by Dom in the Fast and the Furious movies. So it's... Um, if you've got a little bit of cash, not everyone does, but if you're wanting to to find something to, to fill in some time, um, the Lego Dom's Dodge Charger could be the one. It seems to be a pretty good model. It looks pretty good. It's a, it's an exciting looking thing. It's a Technic, so you know it's going to be detailed with um, yeah. with a good build, uh, and it'll be a bit of fun to um, to to check out. Uh, but yeah, they reckon it'll be here a little bit in about the towards the end of this month. Um, yeah. And I noticed that my usual Lego supplier is listing it on the website and you can obviously email to get an update uh, when it arrives. So I have uh, cheekily put that down. Um, but yeah, I think that'll be, uh, that'll be cool if we're still in a bit of a sort of a lockdown towards the end of the month. I think that could be a big seller mm. for, for them. Well, the 1,077 pieces is certainly um, a bit of a building process. So it's, uh, but it, compared to some of the Technic models that come out, I know that the, everyone really loves the, uh, the Porsche GT3 RS, but I always found that with Lego, um, it doesn't, something just, it just looks a little bit funny. Um, but because obviously with the design of the, the Dodge Charger and, and how it is, it is a fairly blocky looking car. Mm. in the lego form it actually looks pretty good there's no like there's there's actual body panels it fills in quite nicely um and they've even built in a a wheelie stand um so you can uh have it do the iconic launch as well as it drives off (laughs) which is quite clever i did like that (laughs) little addition yeah you could probably do a um um, you could probably do a toyota granvia but in duplo (laughs) <laughs> you wouldn't lose any detail either it's still just a nice big square <laughs> and you can do it in 50 pieces too yep well i guess it's um that's the, gonna gonna let everybody go now it's um we've had another good long chat about everything that's happened in cars this week uh what have you got coming up joel this week uh, a little bit more uh, dirt rally or uh, yeah a little um, bit more dirt rally but uh mm-hmm. i'm getting back out to do some stuff for some clients this week Excellent. so um, i'm looking forward to getting out of the house for some essential work uh which will be good and then um yeah watching a bit of um e-racing i think whilst uh when it's around as well excellent we're looking forward to seeing some of those um some of that work and what about you mick uh you've got the stinger at the moment uh, yeah, I've actually got that one for a <clears throat> for an extended loan. I did have a carnival booked that we were going to use for our Easter holidays, but obviously we're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I've still got a few trips I have to do, so I'll be looking forward to taking the stinger on some essential swervers. I mean, swerve, <laughs> services, services. Uh, yeah. So is that uh, why that stinger isn't available when I asked about it? <laughs> oh, the stinger. Yeah, no, sorry, all gone, mate. <laughs> um, yeah, but I'm probably going to check out that uh, TCR Australia replay, actually, and see what that's like and maybe catch mm-hmm. up with the next edition of that one this week. But <clears throat> that should keep us plenty of busy, I think. There's certainly a lot of action going on with uh, the eSports and YouTube replays and stuff. So I might have a look at that and try and work out the streaming side of things so we can catch other stuff as it comes up. Mm-hmm. Excellent. 
Cool. Well, um, we've got for me. I'm picking up the like I mentioned before the BMW 218i uh, Grand Coupe. So that's going to be interesting to drive. Um, and, uh, my first proper experience in a front wheel drive BMW. Um, so that's looking forward to that in a way. It, I think the photos have, have grown on the design of it, um, but I have to see it in person properly to to really get my head around it. Um, how many uh, how many doors on the Grand Coupe? Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> <just> um, <laughs> or even technically five. I wonder. It's a hatchback. Mm. Um, anyway, so it's a loose term of the word coupe, I guess. Um, but yeah, so doing that, we've got uh, digitally. We'll have the new edition of uh, Velocita magazine after a couple of delays, everything with uh, COVID nineteen. Um, but it's a really great edition um one we talk and drive the rolls royce dawn and um look at the new dealership and everything that it's got we also talked to a gentleman called stephen mitchell who owned a ferrari 250 gto back in the late 60s um as an 18 and 19 year old so yeah good right um that's better than a pink suzuki alto that's (laughs) that's right (laughs) And it wasn't his first Ferrari either. Um, oh wow! It was. Uh, it's a. It's a great discussion. We'll also have it coming out on um, in in podcast form on the sit down podcast as well. So make sure you subscribe to that. We'll have a link in the in the show notes. Um, but it's a great discussion, and we have some great photos. It, ha- photos are hard to find of that car at that particular point in time, but there's some great stuff. Um, because it was owned by Penske at the time it was raced um, prior to, to Stephen owning it. And oh, cool. um, it's the car, it's it's chassis 3987, and that car is now actually owned by Ralph Lauren. So that's the car that sits in Ralph Lauren's um, collection at the moment. So it's, um, yeah, wow. great car, great history, unbelievable. And the stories that Stephen has as he owned it in that age, um you know, where you could still do 150 miles an hour um, in between LA and Las Vegas. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And, yeah, so it's it's definitely worth the read. Definitely it's even better to listen to as well, um, as well as we have a bunch of our other reviews in, in the magazine as well. So make sure it's um, – we'll have links. It's available in Magster and Press Reader as well as our website. Um, so if you want to read that, it's a, it's a, it's a good read and um, – yeah, just something it's a different type of content um, outside of everything that's out there at the moment. But on that note, um, thank you, Joel and Mick. You can find Joel Strickland at Joel Strick Photo and uh, Mick McWilliams at Low Flight, Low Flight Tech. And um, But thank you, guys. Appreciate your time and uh, look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks, boys. Good to be on again. Cheers. Thanks, gents. All right. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you next time. <laughs>